0: I started off with just influencers, just building the brand through, literally, celebrities. So, like, Love Island, X on the Beach. Most people now, like, they launch a brand and you know, it's straight into, like, Facebook ads, TikTok, everything like that. But it almost seems like another the time, because when I launched it, the only way to really get your brand out there, so it felt to me anyway, was influencers.
1: Right then, welcome or welcome back to the Midnight Podcast, where we have super in depth, authentic, super transparent, open conversations with an array of different entrepreneurs from many different industries. I really want to make this a podcast known for going super in depth on loads of topics that other podcasts are scared to speak about. I feel like most stuff out there these days is just super surface level, super vanilla, and doesn't really answer the questions that viewers and listeners want to hear. So that's what we're trying to do. Keep it real and keep it raw. I'm sure you'll get a huge amount of value listening or watching the pod wherever you are. And if you do, don't forget to subscribe, recommend it to a friend, leave a like and a comment and just let us know what you think. And yeah, really hope you enjoy this episode. Right, we're back with episode 53, I believe, of the Midnight Pod. And for the first time I think ever... We have an aged, a twelve-year-old Dalmore whiskey, which Jason has been kind enough to bring along. We're normally on the red wine, as everyone knows, so I'm going to try not to chug this because it could go down too quick, and we can end up having to finish this podcast about <laughs> half an hour in. But like I was saying, we're joined with Jason Armstrong from Caliber Clothing, who we've been we've been chatting online probably. I was going to actually say, how long has that been? Been six on and off. Months,
0: yeah, on and off. Six Is it just
1: months? that? I swear it's longer than that. Maybe. Yeah, sweet. Um, yeah, so we've been chatting online for like a year, on and off. And yeah. I feel like I've built relationships with people in the e-commerce space through that. Like, I don't know if you replied to a story, I replied to a story. Then you realise you've got loads
0: of mutual friends. I think, I, I think I, originally I, I was watching the podcasts and then um, I'd had a few friends that had gone on, people that I've spoken to in the past through e-com. Um, and then just followed you through that naturally, just reached out, just through probably stories to do with stuff in our industry. Um, and just spoke on and off through that, really.
1: Yeah. yeah, and we were chatting just before he came on. I didn't realize how much of a pretty fucking mad story you've got. To be fair, I know you mentioned oh, before you... that you had a good story, but I don't know. I don't like everyone says that we don't
0: know. Yeah, to be fair, there's. <clears throat> it's weird because have you ever heard of a podcaster called Mike Winnett? And he does all the entrepreneur stuff Yeah like, yeah, yeah I've seen that he, yeah. he calls it like A bullshit backstory yeah. And I always laugh Because he, it's one of the things He does on the, on the entrepreneur bingo thing Is um, he ticks off things That they say That are like yeah. Okay that's You know And he gets so he gets a full house And one of the things He says oh They've got a bullshit backstory But I actually do have Like quite a mad backstory um, And I think from most Of the guests That have kind of come on They Quite young into Econ Whereas yeah. I, I did a lot Of other stuff Before kind of even business just in general. <laughs> it was, it was mad. It was um it wasn't like obvious to me at eighteen, nineteen that I was gonna be in business. It was it kinda just it happened through um through a result of running someone else's business and helping them. Um so yeah, but start tell me where you want me to go from and I'll go from there.
1: Well I guess you're from Birmingham originally, which yeah. is pretty evident. I mean yeah. maybe the accent's faded a little bit. You said you live in Stoke right now. Yeah. Where is Stoke?
0: So it's in, it's literally. I should know that. I'm, I'm northern. Is it northern? Yeah, you know, do you know Staffordshire? Yeah, it's it's like. I'm very ignorant right now. No, no, it's it's a, it's a city with, by Staffordshire or within Staffordshire, if you like. But it's the best way to describe it is it's it's smack bang in the middle of Manchester and Birmingham. So if I literally yeah. go on my sat nav and put in like, yeah, yeah, I looked for a Zara in Stoke before, and there was no Zara in Stoke, but I was exactly like 47 miles from the Zara in Manchester and 48 from Birmingham, so it was kind of like. So sometimes I go to Manchester, sometimes yeah. I go to Birmingham, so it's it's literally right in the middle. Um, it's quite a big... It's it's class as a city, but... Yeah, um,
1: yeah, similar to York in size, maybe, probably that's where yeah. I'm from. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess normally I go back to, like, childhood in a way. I mean, there's how probably long, so much how shit. How long have you got? Well, <laughs> maybe just... Because obviously you said you started the brand, like, what, five years ago? And you're 31 now.
0: 2017, so I was, what, 26. So it's um,
1: obviously 26 years prior... To doing anything in com yeah, but that is a bit different to a lot of guests. Um, I I feel like I started fucking late. Not that you're late, but it's funny because ev- everyone people, these days they're getting. I, I think feel like it's, more and more because of like Twitter and stuff.
0: It wasn't like people
1: get into stuff when they're like three years old.
0: When I when I started, it wasn't more. It wasn't just so like I don't even think. I know I've heard you talk about doing. You were doing Facebook ads like quite a while back, but I didn't. Hmm. I didn't really know about Facebook ads until like 2018, 19. I think I started off with just influencers, um, and and just building the brand through literally celebrities. So like Love Island, X on the Beach. Um, so, but most people now like they are getting into like they, they they launch a brand and it's straight into like Facebook ads, TikTok, everything like that. But when it it seems like it almost seems like another another time because when I launched it was when I we started the brand. It was the only way to really get your brand out there. Where so it felt to me anyway was influencers. Yeah, um, which that's actually like kind of come well it's come and gone really and it's more micro-influencers or people you you can't you can't um, get away with using people that aren't like on point with your branding like in terms of they, mm. they overdress like your brand if you've got a clothing brand or the message of your brand or whatever is in point in line with what they do on a regular basis whereas before because of Instagram used to be the algorithm didn't exist and you could get literally like it was, it was just the feed was just Time you know, when like someone posted two minutes ago, it'd be at the top of the feed. Mm. The reach was so powerful that even if they didn't quite fall in line with your message or didn't wear your products all the time, just one post would get all your sales for like a couple of weeks or a week, and just and you'd be able to monitor that through a discount code or whatever. And like now, you people use obviously SMS, email, Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook. Um, but literally, when I first started, it was like Hera, it was just all, yeah. all influencers.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I want to go into loads of stuff with that, but I guess to cover first ground, prior to that, then go back a little bit. I guess normally from like sort of school, teenage years, a bit beyond there, it's probably a mad story. So yeah, maybe skip up to some of the more palatable bits. Okay, and so just give us a chronological run through.
0: I was in foster care.
1: Oh, shit. That's another thing I didn't know.
0: Yeah, look, most people don't know because. I think in the early years, I purposely didn't tell people because they treat you different. that would either feel sorry for you mm. and it wasn't like it's just something you just bring up. But certain scenarios, you didn't really have a choice to speak about it. Like I've lived with like a black family. So when we'd go to parents' evening, it's pretty obvious that they're not your mum and dad. So then yeah. people then ask questions like that. Or you might be you might, you might be put with an older couple who were like, is that your nan and granddad? Where's your mum and dad? So, but other than that, I wouldn't mention it just because I just want to, the, the big thing is when you, when you're raised in, a, in, in, that, in that way, all you want is to be treated normal. You don't want like the sympathy and you don't want to, you just kind of want to just go out and just crack on and just play with your friends and whatever and just go to school. Um, so for years and years and years, I just didn't tell people, even like close friends that I'd gone to school with for years didn't know, um, especially when I got put with a family that looked more like they could be your, your parents. People didn't ask the question then.
1: How often did that change? Like
0: yeah, parents. so I, I got put into care when I was five or six. I can't remember the exact age. It was it was like about then. Um, and I actually had the record for the most moves of like 22. Fucking from, from my borough. To the point where I got moved down to Cornwall. Because no one in Birmingham would have me. Um, so I, I moved around like loads of areas within like West Midlands, like Warsaw, Dudley, West Brom, Birmingham. Um, and it got to a point where... When you're in the system you have if you was to go to a new carer you'd have like a, a record of your behavior and obviously what you've been like at your previous carers' um school records and that a bit of like a, a cV for that carer to go right because mm. they, they'll they, they potentially a lot of them still have their own kids at home and they foster with their own kids so they don't want to bring a destructive kid into their home if it's going to cause trouble with their own children who's a similar yeah. age so they'd have like um they'd have like your records would be shown to carers stating why they're moving you on or, you know, your past and your history and stuff like that. Um, and it got to the point where no one in Birmingham would have me. And it was uh, it was close to me going into like a children's home. Um, and then they they ended up, obviously I was too young at the time to realise why or the main things, but what ended up happening was I moved to Cornwall and it was basically based off of no one in Birmingham would have me due to my record of moving around so much and just being disruptive, getting kicked out of schools, um, just fighting getting into trouble a lot. Um, and the problem is as well, it's like a snowball effect. Once you move to a new area, it's it's very hard to like to fit in with new kids because they're like, well, who are you and where have you come from? And even mm-hmm. just like going back as a kid, moving five miles would be massive. Like it's not like now where you're adults and you've got cars and stuff and you, you're you two minutes down the road from yeah. somewhere. If you move five, six miles away, you'd be changing school, you'd be a new circle of friends off your estate. Who are you, why have you moved? Like where's your brothers and sisters? You've got no one to like um like put you in either, like mm. do you know what I mean? Like an older brother or a or, or a friend. Oh yeah, he's sound is. So you're just completely starting over again and you just it's 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 hard work and um in so so settling once you once you start to move, it's kind of like it becomes a bit of a it becomes a bit of a roller coaster from there to really get settled. Um and different carers have different rules and different, you know one carer or, you know, will want you to do one certain thing or be in it at one certain time and you get moved on and they're telling you to come in an hour early or, and it's just hard work. Whereas if you've got your parents, it's just the same all the time. It's that consistency. So once you start to move, it, it just happens where you just kind of, you can just all of a sudden be moving around the system. So I got moved down to Cornwall. Um, and to be fair, it was amazing. Like the carers I got put, uh, I recently went and visited them. Well, about three, four years ago, I went and visited them and it was amazing. and um, I hadn't seen him for years. And um, I lived down there for three years. Um, And then eventually I I got moved back up to Birmingham because my mum had come down and tried to get me adopted. Um, And the carers had basically said, listen, he can't be adopted because um, he's too old. He knows knows of his family. Um, But that was kind of like her input is I don't really want to see him again. Um, But my nan was a massive part of me, like, you know, of my life, both my nans. Um, my other nan passed away in 2007 But My current nan she, the, the nan that I'm talking about now Is still alive now And she basically fought To get me back up to Birmingham Because she felt like I was losing my identity After being down there three years I had like the accent And it was too far yeah. to travel To come back That's and visit enough, family enough reason to go back Yeah it was too far to come back And visit family and friends um, So she tried to get She tried to adopt me My nan did But at the time She was living in Blackpool And she, she used to come down to like Cornwall It's like a nine hour coach journey um, literally from one end of the country to the other. And um, she wanted to adopt me, but going back to what I was saying before about like, you just want to feel normal. I knew that if I go back up to my nan and granddads, people are going to ask when I go to parents' evening, whatever like that, or when they knock on for you. Who are they? Like they're obviously too old to be mum and dad. So I just wanted to kind of be with someone that looked like they could be my mom and dad, so the, the question wouldn't come up. Um, so we tried it for like a little while and I basically just like wouldn't settle and just said, I don't want to be adopted so my nan kind of managed to just at least get me back into to birmingham Um, so i came back up to birmingham um, went with one carer that didn't work out for a couple of years um, and then went to another care at the age of 14 and stayed there until i was until i joined the marines at 18 but then i would on leave come back to them anyway so like i basically went lived there from 14 to like 21 um 2021 until i moved out and got my own place and then i still see them now still see their sons and they're like my brothers and stuff like that so I had that like and they were of an age where they had kids the same age as me so it felt not only have they got the same accent as me but they look like they could be mom and dad so if you go out shopping in Asda and whatever you haven't got people looking at you weird because you've got parents that are a lot older than you or black carers and you're white and they are people you know I used to go to a Pentecostal church, um, every week and I'd be the only white person there. Mm. And straight, the kids kids don't understand. They're like, why are you here? Who's your mom and dad? So you, you straight away you're on the back foot with people and you're thinking, well, I've known this person two minutes. Do I really want to tell them my life story? And yeah. Do they re- even really want to hear it? So you just, you find yourself just like avoiding like conversations and stuff like that. So something because something being just, just being with the right, the people that look like they could be your parents was a massive thing really. So once I got that, I started to settle back in my area. Um, and that's, that's me up to, from 14 to, to 18, 19, I was, I lived there and, and I still see them now. So that was my childhood really. It's, it's moved around loads, you know, different people, different parents, different environments. Did you go to uni? No, college, I went to college. And um, the only reason I went to college was, I was speaking about it earlier. When I tried to join the Marines at 16, I was too small. So hmm. I prolonged it till I was 18 just to put weight on. Um, and even then I struggled. So, so you planning
1: to go to the Marines before you went to college, soon, anyway? Soon,
0: I was in the cadets at, yeah. um, at school, um, the army cadets. And all I wanted to do was join the military. And when I went down to Cornwall, I'd been in the Marine cadets down there. So that's where the Marine thing was always on my mind. And I went away for a week with, the, with school um, and did an army look at life course. And my results from running and press-ups and sit-ups were so good... They mm. recommend that I join the Marines or the Paras and just said your run times are, are amazing. you you you're clearly very physically fit. You've did
1: you have ever do a marathon?
0: Never, no. Yeah. Cross country was about the most I've got to do. Yeah, yeah, I used to do cross yeah. country. I did a lot of long runs, like 10 mile runs and stuff like that. Um, and used to, just, used to do crazy amounts of football and stuff as well where we yeah. just always running stuff like that. And did cross country and the cadets did cross country at school. Um, 1800 metres and stuff like that. Yeah, Um, but yeah. So I I knew from when I was at school that that's what I wanted to do, Um, but I didn't. I wasn't I wasn't heavy enough. You had to be fifty six kilograms to join the marines, which is literally like my left leg now. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so what I did was I went to college, um, did sports and fitness for two years and the funny thing is I used to have a lot of issues in school and I used to get kicked out I've been to pupil referral units I've been to two high schools multiple primary schools like in the lessons that I enjoyed I was bang on and my teachers would love me but in lessons that I didn't enjoy I was destructive getting kicked out just I only I'm only really interested in doing stuff I'm interested in doing if that makes sense and I, I really struggle to have any interest in something that's just and I just think this is pointless why I'm learning algebra. That's how
1: I feel day to day running a business when all I want to do is make movies.
0: <laughs> this is the thing that I've seen this with the business as well. Like I'm massively into like content creation yeah. that side of things. But like the corporate side of things, it's like, it's a bit of like, oh, okay. But it's, it's, it's you've got to kind of, you've got to be able to do both. But obviously, yeah. if you, you can you can always employ people to do certain jobs um, that you're not strong enough and you really want to, to do that anyway because, um that frees you up to do what you're actually really good at, and obviously where your um, your skills are gonna thrive, really. Because, but in school, you don't obviously don't have a choice, and you've got to do. It's very it's weird because it's like I didn't I wasn't interested in business at the age of 18, 19, but there a lot of like similarities to like being an entrepreneur, to like me being a kid. Like I didn't want to do the same stuff that everyone else did, and I couldn't see the point in doing it. And I only mm-hmm. want to do the lessons that I enjoyed. Um, dressing the same as everyone turning up at the same time as everyone doing the same lessons i always used to like kind of do my own thing um the lessons that i picked for my gcses because in the last two years of school you get to choose your own lessons i did well in them and i was i enjoyed them and i got some gcses and then when i went to college not an issue do you know what i mean I, distinctions and because it was something that i'd chosen yeah um and i enjoyed doing it um so you know there wasn't any issues. I wasn't obviously getting in trouble or anything like that. And it was it was very apparent to me that I've got to do something that I want to do, do you know what I mean? And obviously the, the Marines, and when I had to come out of the Marines, when I had to leave the Marines, it was like, fucking hell, what do I do now? And it's doing jobs and stuff that I'm not really so interested did you,
1: in. So did you go into the Marines? Like you mentioned before you, you, you tried to get into Marines and, and yeah, didn't work.
0: So, so I, I joined the Marines at 18 um, and did two years, year and a half, two years in there. Basically I got to week 26, it's 32 weeks. Um, and I had a lot of issues with my shins compartment syndrome so they put me into what's called Hunter Troop Mm. um, which is like a rehabilitation troop if you've broken an ankle in training you'll go into Hunter Troop and then they rehabilitate you and they put you back into the the troop closest to the week you came out because each troop I think they're in like four week instalments so like when you start four weeks time another troop will start so you can get back troops or through injury and stuff like that once you if you've got an injury, they'll pull you out, rehabilitate you and put you back in. So that was the idea that I got to week 26 and um, basically sat down, had a conversation with like, the sergeant and stuff like that. And we said, well, obviously, it's, it's causing you problems. We're gonna to come to the phase of like, the commando tests now um, to give you the best chance to kind of get through that. Let's put you into hunt troop and see if we can just get some, you know, I think I got fitted with like, um, like some special soles and stuff to kind of like put an arch in my running because I realised mm. I was quite flat footed. Um, and that was the impact of that wasn't helping. Um, and they tried everything they could but ultimately like my shins were just fucked. Um, and so ended, you end up leaving? I had a conversation where I'd passed all my tests to get back into my troop um, but they knew that further down the line it would be with with the, with the 30 mile yomp coming up over Dartmoor and stuff like that and the speed marches it, it was going to be an issue. So with me only being 18 and the entry level being up to 32. Mm. There was like, leave, see if you can get something done about it. Um, It won't be on your record if you choose to leave yourself and you can always, you know, join at a later date or go and join another force like, you know, the Navy or the army or something like that. Um, If we medically discharge you and it's on your record, you'll get a payout, but you'll never be able to join again as such. Um, So I opted just to leave on my own accord. And I did try to rejoin um, about a year later um, but it took so long to get my medical records From Portsmouth up to Glasgow Because I was going to join the army And that's where their medical Where they'd have to send my Because once you've previously served They want to know why you left And you, it'll be on record And it took so long Getting my records up to Glasgow um, That I ended up just thinking I've got to just start moving on And just looking at other things mm. to do um, So with me obviously Coming out of the marine stuff like that it's not really like a transferable skill where you've been training for the last twenty six weeks to, to use rifles, yeah. run around an assault course, and okay, great, you can run a mile and a half in seven minutes, but you know, wh- where's your skill set as such? Yeah. So, um, obviously, if you pass out, you get a trade and such. But, um, so I I had a few friends who'd, who'd gone on to, either they'd either previously already been in the Marines or lads that had gone on to pass out, and they had a lot of contacts with insecurity, So I ended up going into security. I was doing like bodyguarding, close protection. I worked for Matchroom Boxing, um, doing all the boxing ringside security. Oh, sick. Yeah, yeah. So any big fights? Loads, yeah, Wembley, Joshua, Kell Brook. Oh, sick. Um, we didn't have Tyson Fury. We, we did have him for a little bit, well, didn't have any of his fights exactly, but he was with Hennessy, Hennessy Sports, who were Channel 5. So under Matchroom, we were obviously Sky Sports, um, company called SAUK. Owned by Simon, um, so we had, we yeah we had we had we had the contract for Matchroom Room, So we did all the fights every weekend, O2 Arena, met Anthony Joshua multiple times, loads of boxers, Kell Brook, did the Frotch grows fight at Wembley, um, did loads. I've got like, you get like a lanyard with a with a thing, mm. and I must have like fifty of them. Yeah. At home, did all of Anthony Joshua's like first ten fights, um, Luke Campbell loads, yeah. Tony Bellew at Everton when he mm. won the world title on that. Um, so yeah, that was good. We And then the company that we were subcontracts to work for the company that had the contract with Matt Troom. So my actual original company, we mainly focused on doing nightclubs, doors, festivals, concerts. Um, a lot of it was weekend-based work. So the money wasn't great. You'd have like Friday, Saturday, some Sunday day- daytime events Um, but it'd be quiet for the week and it'd be busy for the summer, then more quiet for the winter. Um, So the money, although people were seeing me on TV every week and it was like, oh, you know, you must be killing it. You're you're working on TV. You'd get picked up from your office at 10 o'clock, from their office at 10 o'clock in the morning to go down to London. You'd get to the venue like a couple of hours early. It would start at two o'clock, go live on TV at three and then go off TV about 10 and you'd then have like a, a debrief um, at 11 um, and then you'd be back in the bus to come back to Birmingham at like 12 and get home for like 2, 3 in the morning and for the whole day you only get paid for when the show goes live to when it finishes so from 3 o'clock or for when you when you get there and you have your, your brief and that from like 2 till 11 you get like 80 quid hmm. and you're out your house 16 hours a day but people yeah. would do it because they see it as a privilege to obviously be around these celebrities be on TV and it is good for your CV where if you want to go off and you know, extend your career in security or go and get your CP badges, you can then go, well, I've looked after and you've got all the photos to prove it, because you're on TV, you can yeah. you could you could pause it and screenshot yourself on yeah, TV. That's interesting. So but it was good, it was interesting, but um I got to a point where I, I could I could earn the same amount on a nightclub door on a Saturday night for four hours work, be in my hometown and be back in bed basically the same time I would be if I'd left at ten in the morning. To yeah. go and work in London For the same amount of money um, So eventually that's why I stopped doing it And then uh, Yeah So
1: So how long did you do that Until you started the brand or was there other jobs up to that point
0: So I I did security for eight years um, And I was doing security When I started the brand The actual whole reason The brand idea A big part of the reason The brand idea came about Was because of security So I Going back to I was only working weekends I got a regular job in watches of Switzerland. Um, six, seven days a week. Um, and that's played a massive part in me.
1: Just come a bit closer as that, might by the way. A massive... Shuffle that, yeah. Is
0: that right? A yeah. massive part of me. We've... I've always been ambitious. Like, I could have joined the army, but I went for the Marines. Hmm. Um, I've always like doing something that everyone else isn't doing all my friends would being plumbers carpenters yeah and i was going off to go in the marines and a lot of them were like what the hell's the marines and i'd come back on my leave and i've jumped out of chinook helicopters and they've mm. been in JJBs stacking cell shelves yeah so like, i've different. always liked the idea of like doing something different and follow my own path um when i was working in, in watches, switzerland you're surrounded by a lot of like wealthy people ambitious people, people are coming in my age and buying 10, 20 grand Rolexes. And it opened my eyes up to kind of go, what are they doing that I'm not? Do you know what I mean? And it just Mm. started, it just kind of like set something off on my head. And also working around like a lot of the lads that are in the showroom, they were very passionate and ambitious. And a lot of them, you know, were working towards saving up for a Rolex or to buy a Rolex. And So you were
1: working security there? I was working security there.
0: Um, And the general manager who I still speak to to this day, uh, Lloyd Morgan, he's very well known in Birmingham, like he had a big he was he had a lot of advice, he was like a mentor to me and it just opened my eyes up to like business and wealth and, and stuff like that. So it kind of the seed started for like for caliber in that shop just just in terms of like there's more to life than mm-hmm. just you know what I mean? Just I think
1: everyone has maybe a the first they're first exposed to what's possible. I had that when I did a work experience in London when I was nineteen. Yeah, and I I didn't know what an, an entrepreneur was before that, really. Yeah, it was and the same you meet blokes you got- driving like Rolls Royces and shit. Yeah, and I was like, well, hold on, <laughs> these guys aren't footballers or celebrities. How are they making money?
0: I remember, one of the guys came in. I'll never forget. He, he was, he's what you'd you'd call a chav if you like. Yeah, and you'd you'd look at him and you'd think he hasn't got any money. Hmm. Um, you you come to realise like a lot of the people that you think don't have anything have a lot more than sometimes the people that look yeah, like they don't. Do. About yeah, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, and fingers and as well. They they feel like they've well, they've got nothing to prove. It so you can get you can you know if they just pop out that day and then they've got to go to the gym later. They're not going to like they just they're just in the tracksuit or whatever. It's 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 more circumstantial. But this guy came in and uh, he bought a fifty grand AP, and I'd got I'd been chatting to him half an hour before, and no one had come up to him and even asked him if he wanted to you know. You know because usually if you walk in they come straight over to you and he was very humble just chatting away to me and they actually thought I knew him because of how much he was speaking he used to be a dorm and that's why he was speaking to me and he set up his own like electronic gate company and he was oh, making yeah. millions and he yeah. you know he'd, he'd already got an AP on but it was it was you couldn't really see it unless you properly looked hmm. and um he, he spent like 50 grand on a watch that day and he used every time he'd come in because I'd spoken to him he just he just would speak to me for ages and um you start to kind of speak to people in there and think to yourself like, they're just regular people, but they work hard and they and, and they just they've, they've got ambition and whatever and it's like, you think to yourself Well, I, I could I could do something. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just finding what it is that you want to do. Yeah. Um, but there's more of a there's more of an obvious reason how how Caliber started. So <laughs> part of it was was being in around that shop and being around people who was obviously doing really well for themselves. Um, but I was. I was working five six days a week um at the watch shop and then i was working my weekends at a gym and a guy used to come in and he used to have his own meal prep company mm. and we got speaking loads and i started to to buy his meals yeah um and they came in the one day and he said who, who runs the gym social media and i was like oh it's me he's like mate that's wicked like he's like you do all that yourself instagram the facebook i was like yeah yeah he's like would you do it for me and and i'll pay you and i was like well, I actually, enjoy doing it. I said, I'll do it for free, and yeah. I'll have the meals that I buy, and just give me the meals for free. Yeah. So I started to build his social media for him. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So that's kind of how it how it, it almost happened without me even realising it was happening before. I I had a massive passion for bodybuilding. I always have since I was hmm. five six years of age. I was obsessed with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Sloan. Like I was buying. Um, flex magazines as a kid yeah, yeah there was absolute beast on the magazine my, my mates are buying binos and dandies and I'm buying yeah. flex magazines and I'm like why are you buying that you weirdo I was obsessed with anyone that was just big and muscly and I was like I've always loved bodybuilding I've always loved Arnold Schwarzenegger so been into fitness and training my whole life basically um, and I've always been drawn towards like those physiques mm. and that's kind of what led me to, to, to working in that gym because I was I was living in the gym anyway, and I helped him out one day, the guy who owned the gym, and he asked me if I'd, you know, help out a few times and just, you know, go behind the, the desk as such. And it just ended up becoming like a an ongoing thing. Um, so I got really friendly with this guy who was basically, he was a stockist in the gym with his meal prep company. So he'd have like a fridge um, with all his meals in and he'd just come in every week and just fill them back up as, as people bought them. Mm. We got speaking. Um, And i ended up taking over social media from seeing what i'd done with the gym social media Um, and going back to my passion with bodybuilding i I knew i already knew who all the athletes were i'd been to body power in 2014 15 16. i knew like all like ryan terry i knew everyone i Mm. knew like inside out
1: i used to be mad into all that stuff i used to want to be a fitness model when i was like 17.
0: i went through that phase phase and i was like there's a photographer called giles crofter and he used to shoot... I recognise the name, yeah, yeah. He used to shoot, like, um, all of all the Men's Physique guys, not, not the massive yeah, yeah. guys, but mainly Men's Physique. Yeah. Um, and I, I I was like, I'd, before Ecom came along, my YouTube time would be like Rich Piano. Yeah. And I used to love watching... I used to watch... Um, the Ben and Jerry's down him all the time. Matt
1: Ogus was the OG. Matt
0: Ogus, yeah. And, and I, Chris
1: Lovato, all Chris that. Chris Lovato, I used Jeff to side. You know,
0: Bradley Martin, all those lot. And I used to, you know, there wasn't really and there still isn't massively now but like e-com on YouTube but there's loads of bodybuilding you know like you talk about the Gymshark early days how they got Jeff Sade yeah. and all them people involved but there was a big body, bodybuilding community on YouTube and I used my my pastime that I now used to watch or I have done for like the last few years or whatever watching podcasts was it weren't really such as podcasts it was just more like documenting like Rich Piano would just film himself going to the gym his his routine yeah. his day. you know what I mean and that's what I used to watch as like my pastime, do you know what I mean? I never really was massively into like watching Coronation Street or EastEnders or soaps or TV. I've never liked the idea of...
1: Coronation Street is a classic.
0: And it was always a bit of a fear of mine. Subconsciously, so yeah. I used to say to my missus, alas, my, my worst fear in life is being a Dave, coming home yeah. with my tea on my lap after working a job I hate, just yeah. watching Coronation Street and, Sadly, to bed. and that's a large proportion of it, country. Yeah, and, and I just thought, well, it, even though I'm not where I want to be in life, I don't want my habits to be to match up to that so rather than do that I'd go to the gym and i just watch vlogs and stuff Yeah. Um, so I already when when he asked me to take over the social media I had a massive knowledge base on like okay I, can, I know I can blow this up just from putting it in the right people's hands and we already had people that would come to this gym that I had good relationships with that had a big social media presence um, and I knew that I could I could <laughs> get dark. them I could get them on <laughs> some whiskey?
1: Yeah, he loves a drink.
0: <laughs> I knew I could get them to um, promote the brand as a favour to me. Yeah. Um, so I took over his social media within like three, four months, doubled the following, got like athletes posting about it, got them on it's quite it was quite easy to negotiate with them because they didn't really want pain, they wanted the food, like because it's genuinely like made their life easier. Yeah. And it was what they ate anyway. They meal prepped themselves. Mm. So it was it was really it was really like now, if you go and get an influencer, they want the earth before they even do anything for you. And yeah, they to, they want to charge you a separate portion of fee just to do the story, whereas it should come hand in hand. Really, yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, you, you know, whatever. But, but back then, we had like loads. We had like twenty influencers um, networking with all of those people, and I, I ended up massively blowing up his Instagram. Um, and I was stood, I stood in the watch shop the one day, and I was just thinking to myself, and I thought, I want to do my own thing now, and I thought. I've built someone else's business up. I'm running this whole social, whole social media, speaking to all the bodybuilders, organising all the posts, building up the Facebook. Um, and I thought it's time to do something for myself now. What am I interested in? And I've always liked fashion. I've always been interested in dressing nice, taking pride in my appearance and clothing. I'm not going to lie and turn around and say like, you know, I'm obsessed with it. And I went to designer school or you know, fashion design or anything like that. But I've always took pride in my appearance and always you know liked buying new clothes and always been interested in. Dressing well and, and taking pride in my appearance, I think it goes hand in hand with training, going to the gym, mm. getting your hair cut weekly. Little thing, you know what I mean? Just
1: I need to get my hair cut more often. <laughs> I'm like, every I used to be like every month, then it was every two weeks, and it's still not enough. I I, was, I like, get a fade now, it's like, fucking I was really just like too every quick. Week, but um, I need it again, I had it two my, my days ago.
0: Bar- my barber will probably watch this, but he's an absolute nightmare. You'll get your hair cut, you'll walk out to go and book again with him because he does it on like a, a website and app, and he's yeah. fully booked for like three, four weeks. Yeah, so you're having to like. You almost need to book like three or four slots just to keep yeah, going. Yes, yeah, so, I'm the exact same. But um, and I, I, I'm not like um, I'm quite spontaneous. I'll go right. I need my haircut today, and I like you know. So I don't really plan like three, four weeks in advance to go right. I'll book in. So sometimes I've got a. I used to get my haircut weekly, but since I've been with him, it's been more like two, three weekly now, just because I can't. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not on it enough to make sure that I book on time.
1: I feel like I need another trim now. You got, you got me self-conscious about this fade. It's growing too quick.
0: It always grows, your fingers, because you have it so short on the sides, it always, before yeah. you it, know, it always looks a bit scruffy then. Um, so true. That's a good length, to be fair. But yeah, so, I um, I was always interested in fashion and clothing, and um, so I got speaking to one of the lads, and we had a magazine in the shop called Calibre, but spelt with a C. Oh, really? It's a watch magazine called Calibre. Hope they don't try and sue me now.
1: Nah, it be alright.
0: <laughs> but, um... And I liked the name and I knew what the name meant. So I'd heard of a term at the term. I don't think they've used it as, it's spelt differently to the word that I'm going to, that the reason why the brand's called, what it actually is, the, re- the actual reason behind why I've called it this, is I spotted the, the, the word caliber on the magazine, but I always liked, you know when you go like, oh, I was a high caliber footballer. Yeah. That's what the brand means. High quality distinction, merit. That's, that's where it came from. Yeah, Michael. it's a good name actually. And so I looked into it and I realized it was trademarked Spelt differently with a C, so I decided to spell it with a K, and then I could own the trademark. So that's mm. so, I, so it became its own word then, as such. So yeah. some people don't really know that it's linked to like yeah, high caliber footballer, so they'll go, Oh, what does it mean? And then when I tell them, Oh, it actually means that, they're like, Oh, do you know what I mean? And it, and it kind of links in with the brand anyway. So, um, so I thought of the, the name for the, for, the, for the brand in the shop, um, and I thought, Okay, well, I've built up his e com brand selling meal prep, time to do my own thing. So I started to source manufacturers um and knew nothing there was no like 2016 i thought of the idea back then it was very like you wouldn't there weren't loads of brands about there wasn't really anyone you could kind of reach out and like a guru or courses or anything like that not that i knew of anyway and i literally just went on to other clothing brand pages that were about looked through who they followed and found a couple of manufacturers that way Mm. and just and but some of them would have be following thousands so I was like do you know what I mean just looking through you know a couple of days and I found a couple of manufacturers messaged them and it just so happened that they'd made for a couple of these brands and they could prove it with their production yeah um, but the first company I used was going out of business and I, I spent a thousand pounds on three different t-shirts and um, had you know got got a logo made by a friend who did logos and websites obviously got the name and it, it wasn't like a there was a uh it was just the logo was the name as such mm. so i got that that made up pretty quickly and i was just the idea was just to get it on t-shirts very much how it used to be and just put it on celebrities and just get it out there and just yeah. make sure that it was good quality t-shirts but just mark it and be creative with the photo shoots and stuffing and, and make it look a certain way and that was that was kind of as much as i'd kind of really looked into it and i spoke to a factory um they sent over the logo and the designs I wanted. Um, my friend who, who does logos, he, he could do like tech packs as well. Showed me the photos, like bang on, fine. Like paid a thousand pounds, sent them over. When I opened the boxes, the top t-shirts that I'd been shown were like on top. When yeah. I pulled them off, the rest were like this big. Oh, they were like kid-sized t-shirts.
1: Like pure scam or just a... Pure scam
0: to me. Like, so when I messaged him yeah. was saying like, what, what the hell, like they're all way too small. I can't sell these, just got blocked instantly.
1: That happened to um, James from, from yeah, from, I think from it happened to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had some. This no is why when you speak to anyone who owns a yeah. clothing
0: brand and you say to them, it's a bit of a taboo, a taboo subject. Oh, who's your factory? People are very like naive that they're going to just turn it over to them because it's almost like if it's you've gold known dust what to what I've get a good got. One. Yeah, the golden yeah. key. If you've known what I've gone through to get this factory, yeah. and how much money I've spent trial and error and sampling. I can't just give it you yeah? do you know what I mean because for two reasons I might even like you but I almost feel like you need to go through what I've gone to to know whether you're cut out for it because yeah. it's almost like all those hurdles are like challenges that are like are you cut out for the shit that's going to come your way because it's going to come mm. and if I just give you this nice factory now when their lead times or they're, they're not applying to your WhatsApp you'll think they're the worst person in the world but you actually realise it's quite normal and the biggest battle is the quality of the clothing and it turning up on time. All the other stuff is just quite normal. But you almost have to go through the shit to realise how good a, a decent factory is. So I don't know actually how much use it would be giving someone the best factory possible straight away. One, the MOQ entry would be too high for them anyway, yeah. probably to afford, because a decent factory won't bother with like 50s. I want like hundreds at least, and they want your minim, you know, minimum order to be five, six grand or whatever for them to even... Put the stuff on your projects, it to bigger brands. So that it's not really like going to be any. It's not, if you've built yourself up to a decent factory, and someone comes along to you, they're going to have to have deep pockets just to 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 work with that factory. But also, if they've known, if they'd have known what you've gone through to get to that factory, you can't just. If it's someone you're really close to and stuff like that, and it's it's a net benefit and something's going to come back your way, that's fine. But that has to be organic, and you have to. It has to be your friend, or mm. you've been speaking for a while, and you know you're giving them something and they're giving you something. You know what I mean? You're not just going to go around to random people and just give out because what's stopping them copying your design and having more money to market it and and, and overtaking you as well? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's, it's really hard to find a good factory um, and the first one I got burnt um, but it didn't put me off. I just, I just looked and found another factory um, and... This time I I made a make a video I only paid a fifty percent up for it. Made a video of all the stuff once it was finished for them to get the other fifty percent. Yeah, live, you standard. live and, you live and learn, and then. Um, so
1: many things like that I've done.
0: Then it, it came over, got a model that I knew was was popular at the time, and got a photographer, got the images done, built the website um, on Shopify. Just did it myself. It's very user friendly. Shopify just literally, um, literally uh Did it all myself, put the images up in there with my friend who did the logo, the help of him, um, just doing little bits of coding and stuff like that. And then just basically a lot of the influence that I'd already worked with for the meal prep company, I'd already kind of said to them I'm thinking of setting up my own thing. Would you do me a post on on launch day? Hmm. And Because I'd built up good relationships with them and stuff like that over the time. And some of them I'd met at Body Power. They were like, yeah, sound, no problem at all. Back then it wasn't so like, you could get people to do stuff for free for you, it wasn't so monetized. You yeah. know what I mean, if they liked your product, they would sometimes just do it on a gifting basis. So they was like, "Send us some clothes out, and I'll happily promote you." So on launch day, that, that's what I did. I got as many influencers as possible to just drive traffic to the website, and that was you know, 2017 June. Got launch of like two hoodies, free T-shirts, um Shopify store, had a launch date, got all the influencers to post, and that was it. That was the start of Caliber. How did that go? Did one sale in twenty four hours? Really? Did what? Had had loads so of. It's always the
1: classic story. Yeah. Had lo-
0: yeah, I'm not even gonna lie. The, fir- the first month did we launched on the f- I think it was like the fir- thirteenth of June. Did like two and a half, three grand the first month. Um, I'd, it cost me ten grand to set the brand up. Yeah. Nine thousand eight hundred something like that. So it was about ten grand. I saved up fifteen thousand pounds, and I basically spent nine grand on clothing the website the photo shoot the models fee um, and then had like five grand set aside for marketing um, and paying influencers because I knew that because of already doing my friends social media and knowing the importance of influencers at the end of the day it doesn't matter how good your product is if no one sees it no one's buying it Hmm. so you have to get eyes to your website so I knew that it's pointless launching a brand and no matter how good the quality of the clothing is if you're not going to have money set aside to pay people to bring eyes to your store so I know some people speak to me now, and they've spent the whole money on product, but they've got no money for marketing. They think that word of mouth is going to do the trick, or and it's not like they're an influencer or anything like that, where they can drive traffic through word of mouth or anything like. It's you know you might get a few people you know buying it first, but that soon dies off, and they're not going to be return customers of thousands of pounds. You have to have a strategy in place to either market the brand through influencers, or obviously now it's all Facebook ads, paid ads, whatever. Um, but yeah, so I'd, I'd set aside five grand to basically just pay influencers to get to my website you know to drive traffic to my website um and then the second month did like five six grand then 10 15 grand and then bef- within like three months i would made my money back and i was like okay, i've got something here And i never mm-hmm. forget the first time i, I set aside the money to, to invest in the brand um i had a conversation with a friend and this and they said to me at the time i was renting an apartment and they said 10 grand you could have got a mortgage of that and my response to them was if the brand goes how I think it will, the least of my worries will be getting a mortgage. Yeah. You know that people think so, and they, and they think like it's either or or. Like if you spend this money on that, you're not going to be able to do that. They don't think like, well, well the, that's, that's just
1: standard civilian mindset. Yeah, massive. For lack of a better term. It's just, I've had, I've had the same conversation with people over the years. It's like the biggest risk is taking no risk, isn't it? You're never going to back yeah. yourself, you're never going to do anything. What's money it's anyway? It's a
0: number in a bank at the end of the day, and as long as you can afford to do your daily things anyway you, what, why not you're only here once so what if the brand fails and yeah and you get a mortgage free to you know I've got a mortgage now anyway so I did it anyway <laughs> yeah people, people are very like small minded where they go well you could have got a mortgage I will get a mortgage I would do it anyway do you know what's
1: interesting about that because I, I don't know if you're the same now but I mean all my mates now are, and have been for years are entrepreneurs and just we all think the same and that's why we're mates but like you forget that I come from a normal background, like even my own brother like he he'll speak like that, he's just recently bought a house, and like this is this has been a real talk t- about mortgages and shit, and yeah, and I'm fucking saying, well, you know i, I I'm gonna build this business, sell it, and fucking, but you know all, all this shit it's, it' it's just i we view the world differently because that's something he would speak about with his mates but and they' be like, the, oh how are you getting a mortgage or shit whereas me and my mates. We speak about how we get into 100 million You don't even wave. have
0: to justify or explain it. Like, this is the thing as it's well. It's a different conversation. I ain't? found myself, get as I've got older, I don't hang around with any of my old friends. No, I, I can't I. be around my family as much. Yeah. Because everything's small talk, everything's small thoughts. And the thing is, you'll never speak to an entrepreneur. His answer to me would have been, fucking great, should have done it two years ago. Or, great, well done. That £10,000 going to potentially yield you millions or whatever you speak to your family and they'll be oh you're taking too much of a risk oh, why have you done that oh silly that is you know you, you could have done this you could have done that you'll have that conversation with them until they see you successful once they see yeah. that you're absolutely they'll go oh okay you did the right thing but until you've done that even on the journey where you're being quite successful because it's kind of behind closed doors and they don't mm. see the warehouse or anything like that they're, they're still subconsciously thinking well it hasn't paid off yet and and it's but you you come to realise that if you want business advice, speak to business people. Don't speak to your family. There's no <laughs> Don't take money a advice a off carpenter. People that aren't successful. Just and and just tell them you're gonna take in a massive it. risk in, in, in investing in a brand because hmm. if he felt if, if he was if he was on that same wavelength, he'd probably do this he'd already done the same thing or is you know what I mean? That there was a reason why those people are doing nine to five jobs it, they have a nine to five mindset sometimes it's circumstantial where they're just not at the age yet where they've got to the entrepreneurial level or yeah. they haven't saved up enough money so those people will go on to do those things 90, most of us start off like that anyway but hmm. a lot of the people that are doing those jobs they don't think like we do and you, as you get start to kind of get older you realise you're wasting your time even justifying to them that well, you've made that risk or yeah. d- because if you speak to an entrepreneur he, won't, he wouldn't even question that he'd just be like Fair play. Like, what's the brand called? Yeah. They won't be saying, "Oh, you took a massive risk there." Yeah. So, so 2017, 18, streetwear brand basically. Used loads of influencers. Predominantly hoodies, t-shirts. Went into caps and jeans, um, and the basic. The basic model of the brand was good quality clothing and just get it on influencers and very similar to Hera it was, yeah, a, it was of that Hera's age a good where, yeah it was of that age and it's kind of, kind of funny now because obviously the the guy who's obviously a big part of my brand now owns Hera yeah um, fuck
1: I forgot about that I need to get Ash on the podcast actually because I used to follow him religiously when I was yeah. maybe 21 when Hera was Stein. I know he's no longer involved in it for X, Y and Z reasons but Yeah, I think that'd be an interesting pod.
0: So yeah, so it was basically based around getting it on influencers um, with big followings, Love Island people. Yeah. Had connections through obviously, athletes and and, and, and bodybuilders and stuff like that. And we wouldn't just use bodybuilders, we'd use anyone with like a big social media presence. So launched, put it on as many influencers as possible. And that was basically just the model of the brand, get good quality clothing. On famous people mm. and get as much traffic to the website as possible. Um, and it was it was it was a streetwear brand. Um, we had a lot of independents come to us and want to stock us. So I always avoided it. Um, we had Foot Asylum come to us and want to stock us, and I, I turned that down. And effectively, I didn't realise. It sounds silly, but I didn't realise it was as. Is, the terminology that I can use at you'll was a spice brand. Mm. I know you've mentioned it, yeah. And it started to become that. And I, I never a lot re- of
1: brands were in that space, innit? Back when, then, when I launched, we had
0: Fresh Couture, you know, Nimes, Pre London, Harry. You obviously had Six Silk, Jim King, Be Inspired. Six
1: Silk was still massive, aren't they? They're, they're probably the only one. Well, maybe not, not the only one, but one of the ones that is. Gone I don't think people that.
0: realise how big they are. So I actually they're mad,
1: mad in Spain, aren't they?
0: I I have a really good relationship with the owner, Tom Tomo. He beat David the game on the pod as well. Yeah, he would come on through 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 me asking. I have to him. set that up. Yeah, definitely. So he he actually bought me like a three hundred pound gift for my for my babies when my baby was born, a rocking chair. Oh really? Yeah. So he he's actually ex army. So I think I've been up to the offices in Leeds. Hmm. So that's where they're based. Uh, they're, they're from Scumfort but um, their offices are in Leeds for Six Silk. And he's a really nice guy, very humble, never talks about money, never posts about money. You wouldn't know that he owns a Lamborghini. It's never been posted on his social media. Yeah. Just a very genuine, nice guy. I think, I don't know the other two lads, there's three lads that set up set up the brand, but um, but me and Tomo speak a lot. And I think, because obviously me being ex-military and a lot of my family being ex-military, we, he's kind of drawn towards me through that. He invited me to their offices. Um, Yeah, and he's, and I don't think people realise, like... They're turning over over a hundred million a year.
1: Really? Yeah. Hell. I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, they're, they're massive in Spain. They're massive in yeah. I thought Brazil. Spain. I've
1: seen me like Messi posting with South them.
0: American, and shit. South American, South America. I went. I went to Barcelona and I have seen people wearing sick silk everywhere. Um, yeah. It, it Very is, true. You, you know, you went to the new Camp and there was people wearing them everywhere, and obviously we did the collaboration with Dani Alves. Um, to yeah, see, to enhance that, and they did they, they did it with Messi. Um, but. They when I first started, they were the kind of brands that were almost like the blueprint. Mm. There wasn't the Bookson's that there is now, and the represent, represent was always around. I think, but I didn't know of them back then. Um, so, and a lot of them, they 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 use like you know the Leon Scotts, the Stephen James, mm. um, all the same models, all the same models, and it was kind of like that was the blueprint. You get a good product, get a name that's, and then just stick it on them, and make sure you're shooting cool locations and that was kind of that was almost just the that was all what you really thought of it really it wasn't really like it's always about the quality of the clothing but it was more so just about product placements and a year and a half two years in 2018 I almost kind of stepped back and looked at the brand and went this isn't what I want Foot hmm. Asylum were coming to me and I didn't want to be you know just a colourful hoodie with a logo One I wanted it to be more refined more refined more like reese more contemporary more I had this big thing I used to say to people like we used to price our t-shirts at 45, 50 quid quite expensive mm. and then one of the main reasons why I used to do that was I used to say to customers sometimes protecting the brand from me I said if you spend 45, 50 quid on a t-shirt you're not going to go and wear it in the gym you're going to wear it to a bar yeah because there's a sense of like oh, I've spent quite a bit of money on this t-shirt like I'm going to wear it for a nice occasion or yeah that's like, very true a, so I I was already kind of doing things that would almost that's now like I can understand now why I was doing that. And I didn't want people wearing my stuff down skate parks or in gyms. I wanted people to go out on a night out and wear that outfit. And also that's where all the photos are taken for the social media. Mm-hmm. If you go on someone's social media, nine times out of 10, if they're wearing a t-shirt in the gym, it's under a hoodie or it's been sweated on or whatever, you're not really yeah. looking at it like, whereas if people go for a night out and they're wearing a nice outfit, you'll you'll take notice of the outfit and people will post those pictures more often anyway. So just as like a byproduct of them wearing the outfit out, it will then get put on their social media and it then it then it's out there more. So I, so with the price point and, and the quality of the materials, I was already trying to position it to be like a brand that You'd wear on a night out but i realized that with the big logo and the way i was promoting it it wasn't really in line with what was in my head of how i wanted it to be perceived so i decided to before that brand got too big and too known it wasn't it was still not in any shops i knew that i could kind of remodel it and re, rebrand it mm, pivot. so i wanted to keep the name because the name i like the name anyway and it, it meant something and it was there was a, obviously we spoke about like high caliber, quality, merit, distinction. It wasn't just like a, I know a lot of companies just go, oh, we'll add London on the end of Couture on the end. And they just, <laughs> London, the, yeah. the, the name's got no meaning, but this brand, it, the name did have a meaning. So I was like, I'm not changing the name, but I want to change the look of the brand. So in 2000, the brands at like two phases. So it's, so although it's five years old, financially, we're like 18 months old because of the stock gaps we've had with that, where we haven't had stock or where we've done this rebrand it's
1: yeah, so, so just just on that then like how you obviously mentioned it to me off camera but how involved were you like when did you go full time like when was it at a point where you were thinking about going full time honestly <laughs> you mentioned just then pretty much 18 months out of 5 years were you properly selling
0: yeah so th- there was a period of time where I left work for 6 months and went full time in the brand in like 2019 yeah um my my factories weren't relying, reliable enough to get stuff to me on time and i was missing like three four months of no stock so there was no income for the brand so i think yeah,
1: stock so hard
0: i'd go back to work and um i used to obviously do security, as we spoke about my foster brother greg who the foster carers i lived at for 13 years he's the exact same age as me by a couple of months mm. and we're best friends we're like like that He was in traffic management, working the motorways and stuff like that. And he said to me, I know you've quit work and I didn't want to go back to doing security because the big problem was with security, especially working the Rolex shop was you couldn't be on your phone. And Lloyd will watch this back and he'll laugh at this, but he used Mm. to come to me and he knew exactly what I was doing. He knew I was building the brand. So he never used to go mad at me. But obviously it's a £3 million showroom. You press a button to let people in. You can't be there on your phone. And there's a client stood outside waiting to spend a hundred grand and they're waiting for you to even notice them, to let them in, Yeah. which would sometimes happen. If I wasn't looking up at them, I wouldn't even know they're there for a couple of seconds because I'd be on my phone speaking to a factory or do you know what I mean, speaking to a photographer about a photo shoot. It was always work, mm. but it was, it was hard to work and run the business in security because you weren't allowed to be on your phone. And obviously it's an e-com brand. Everything's done from my phone. So it was really hard to run the brand and work full time in the job that I was doing. So I... When the brand started to get to a point, I mean, at one point I was bringing in like f- ten bags of parcels that I'd packed overnight. Just saw so my lunch break because I worked in the city centre. I'd gulped the Royal Mail, drop them all in. I had to like, build a rapport with the, the Royal Mail um, workers just so I didn't have to queue because I used to miss getting back. I'd, I'd miss my whole lunch queuing because you're in the city centre. It's busy as fuck. Mm. Um, I'd queue just about getting there. Drop all my parcels off. Miss my lunch. Come back and do the rest of my shift. And it was getting to the point where it was like, I can't do this. So when the brand got really busy, I, I quit security. And, um, and they were, the, the the shop was very supportive, like I'm still friends with, I went to Barcelona with one of the lads from there. There's lads that have bought from the brand, the owner, uh, the general manager Lloyd is a massive, you know, mentor to me and supporter and always checks in on me and messages me all the time. And words of encouragement and stuff like that they knew that when I was on my phone at work what it was for but at the same time they've got a store to run and they've, they've mm. got you know what I mean so it was becoming a bit like oh, I can't do both here so I left work for six months um, but it was great when I had stock I could pay myself a wage but when I didn't have stock for three four months because of suppliers being late or issues with you know with, with getting it over here and whatever like that um, so my brother um, Greg he worked on the motorways and he said listen on day shifts, were done by 12 o'clock. It's job and knock. Once the road's tarmacked, you can kind of go home. Um, you're in the van, you can be on your phone, come and do this because you'll be able to do both. So that's I went back to work doing traffic management, um, which is all I... For layman terms, it's basically the blokes that close the motorway on a the, on the night time to tarmac. That's what hmm. I was doing, and traffic lights and stuff like that. Um, and I was running the brand and working full time, but I could because I could be on my phone as much as possible, once we put the job out and close the road off you're effectively just sat in the van waiting for the tarmacers to finish and then you pull the, the cones off and the signs off and the, the roads open and you, and you're back home in five six hours you you know it's you do a 12 hour shift it's done in five hours job and knock once the road's ready to drive back on you back home so I did both for a long time um, I was working seven days a week uh, and and running the brand seven days a week on my own um I only went full time when Paul Richardson, uh, the Gymshark director invested into the brand and gave me a, a, good, a good chunk of money to to basically, he wanted my focus to be completely on the brand. So it was kind of, what number do I need to give you? Obviously, well, I'm buying half the company off you, but I also want you to be 100% free to focus on the brand because that's when it's really gonna grow, not when it's like a side hustle. So he, he put me in a position where I could leave work and not have to worry about bills or anything like that or paying for my own lifestyle. And I could just focus on running the brand. And if we didn't have stock for three, four months because of new collections or whatever, or reorganising stuff and whatever, it wasn't an issue then because mm. that money was in the bank. Um, so I I went full time with the brand like five month, five six months ago. But I've always worked, apart from that period of time where I left for six months because I just couldn't do both with security. And yeah, I've always been, I've always done everything.
1: Just going back a bit before then, though. So in terms of like actually. Marketing. Were you doing paid social? Or was it all, all influences all the time? No, so obviously... And how I s- has that changed?
0: You got to like... When I rebranded and I basically decided I wanted to kind of um, be more premium and, and kind of come away from the big logo, tattooed model mm. thing, I stopped using influencers and they didn't have the same impact they used to do. Once the algorithm came in, you wouldn't... You know, yeah. I remember paying a £1,000 to Alex Bowen yeah, I,
1: it, I, I worked with him as well And within
0: 24 hours, I made eight grand back off his discount code. Yeah. Because I gave him a discount code. and knew it was directly from him. Yeah. And um, five, six, seven, eight posts later. changed. I, I do the same thousand pounds and I made 800 pound back. I was at a loss. Yeah. That was the difference. And it was just, um, the reach that his photo got compared to the first time I used him was night and day difference. He, he had 600,000 more followers. Yeah. But the post is not being shown to half of his audience because of the way the algorithm works and if that post doesn't perform well in the first couple of minutes it just limits the reach of it same with stories if you post a story and if you give it an option where it's a yes or no because of the engagement it boosts up and it goes out to more people but if you oh really i I didn't actually know that yeah so i spend that much time on instagram like i know all the tricks and if you just Mm. if you just post one photo instead of five photos that will get more reach as well because what it monitors is how much time people spend on the photos. Now, if you post one photo, people will look at one photo, but they ain't looking at twenty five photos, are they? Mm. So the, the the engagement drops, and what that tells Instagram is your other photos aren't interesting. We're gonna we're gonna downgrade yeah. the, the reach. So you're better off just posting one. You know, if your brand's turning over millions and millions and millions anyway, it doesn't really matter too much. It's a very small thing. But if you're quite a small brand and you want to get as much reach reach as possible. You need to get them engaging with that first story, um, and and like this or that. But you see brands do this or that. It's not because they want to do this or that. It's just because they're trying to get the engagement on that first post, so then the reach it go mm. it goes out to more people. But Instagram as a whole, just it's just terrible. Like it, the reach was shocking. So influencers just you just naturally stopped using influencers because they didn't they didn't their 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 performances were halved, but they wouldn't they wouldn't budge on their price. And because their following still going up, sometimes they're actually charging more, but the results are less. Mm. You know, some influencers are coming back to me, and I was like, "Well, I've used your discount code, so obviously w- you've put it in your caption, so I know how many sales come from your story, from yeah. your post." And it's half of what I used to get, but you're double the price. So I feel like that, and that they didn't really catch on early enough to understand that if they probably would have worked with brands and kept their price. In line with their performance, mm. yeah, they probably would have got a lot more work. But so,
1: did you pivot to paid social or anything then?
0: So then, once once I started to, to realise that you know the reach and, and and the the sales from from celebrities wasn't what it used to be, I'd got speaking to a guy that used to he used to he used, to, he used to, from Australia. He used to run a lot of his own. He had like four or five brands, and he used to do drop shipping and stuff like that. Mm. And um, he was the kind of first person that spoke to me about Facebook ads, and then he basically started running them for me. And that was the first time. That was 2018, 19, when I started to do Facebook ads. And then, um, we, we obviously then did the, the relaunch in 2000. And we, we did like a, we did a rebirth for the whole, the rebirth for the whole brand. And we couldn't use influencers no more because it would have, it's not, it's not in line with the way the brand looks to use tattooed models or to use. Yeah. MTV, you know, it, it's more based around the product. Um, and, I didn't want to use a big fancy celebrity model. I wanted to use someone that fits with the brand identity. And Facebook ads just went hand in hand with what our, our kind of brand mission was anyway. Now it's like, okay, we don't want to use people covered in tattoos because of, we're like a, a contemporary menswear label like Reese. Um, Yeah. So it, we, we, it, Facebook ads was perfect for us because it was like, right, we haven't got to just use people just to get the reach. We can actually make our brand look exactly how we want it to look um and then just pay for the reach and then just pay for the reach through facebook ads um and obviously email marketing and stuff like that and uh, sms we did we just we just did all that eventually and just that was never gone back since not you know we had um we had a lot of footballers buy from the brand coutinho bought from the brand oh yeah and i'm a massive liverpool fan so yeah same oh yeah yeah that's good so when i remember sat there one day on shopify and uh just seen, seen, an ad, seen a sale come through, and I was yeah, like, and yeah. had Melwood training ground." And I was like, "Fuck off, serious." Yeah. So I, there was an email there. I don't know if this is like a breach of fucking data mm. protection, but I, I email. Well, it's not, is it? Because they, it's, it's they've, they've bought from the brand, and you're, as a brand, you're effectively if they've signed up for email marketing, yeah. you can reach out to them, can't you? So I've emailed. them just saying, like, I assume this is like the Cattinio, <laughs> it's going to Melwood. So yeah. the chances are, I'm so a massive Liverpool fan. Can we refund the order and send them out as a gift? And in return, get a post? And then they came back, and it was actually his cousin that was ordering on behalf of him. Yeah. Um, and he said, "Yeah, that'd be." Amazing. I don't think
1: the fifty quid T-shirt is going to dent his pocket either well, way. Exactly. Do you know be what I mean? Fair.
0: And that's the great thing about using footballers is, is they don't want to. They don't want money because they're multi-millionaires, so they're not going to charge you like five hundred quid for a post because mm. they make that in a minute. So Catina did a post. So, so I've got a, yeah, I've got screenshots of not just see. Coutinho. He'd end up snowballing onto loads of footballers. So, Coutinho done me a post. Um, I got a ton of followers from that. Well, actual tagged. Yeah, tagged post.
1: Fucking hell, that is decent.
0: But through that came Firmino. I've been in Firmino's house. He's got me tickets. I've been to games. How'd that uh, come about? Coutinho post. But as in, how would you get in his house? Like you just through speaking. So basically, we we spoke loads. Um... And he he realised I was a Liverpool fan, and he said, you want some tickets to come to a game?" So I went to Liverpool. First game I went to was Liverpool Man U. Shaqiri scored three one. Yeah. Uh, and he he added. I didn't know he was going to do this, but he'd added in the in because you went to collect the tickets, and uh, gave me two tickets for a friend. Um, he'd put a, a VIP pass to go and meet the players after the player player lounge, and mm. he was in there. So obviously I went up to him, introduced myself. He didn't didn't speak much English, but he knew who I was. You just you work out a way to kind of. Oh, John. Oh, okay, amazing! Yeah, thank you very much for the clothing. Mm. Ridiculously humble. The South Americans, they like the the difference between them and like British football is like they've come from such humble beginnings that mm. you giving them clothing is a big deal. So I'm like, they don't realise that they're doing you the favour. Yeah, they would pay for it. Like I used to get like Lanzini, I got mm. stuff out to him, the West Ham player, and he was just buying stuff all the time. But he was he was like, I was like, I will send you this stuff because he was tagging me anyway, and he was just doing it. But because I'd already give him some stuff like six months ago, he was still buying stuff because he liked the stuff and he was just tagging it off his own back. Yeah, Whereas sweet. like a British star, you'd message someone with the same amount of following as him and they wouldn't even respond to you. Or like yeah. and if you was and if I was gonna do a paid if I was gonna do a post, it would have to be like on their terms and just night and day, difference between South Americans. So I kind of seen a bit of like a a pattern there. So when had done the post for me, once I'd got that photo of him wearing my stuff, I then just chucked that photo into Moreno's DMs. he done me a signed shirt and mm. post. F- Firmino came through it. Um, I got Otamendi from City, Lamella from Tottenham, Danilio from City. Well, they all posted also, for free? Yeah, you can check it all on Tagged Photos okay, no. for free.
1: Did that make a big difference? Massive
0: difference. That's why I've got the following I've got. And it's... Um, it's why it would work as well is people know that they're not doing it for money. They don't mm. need to. So it comes across really organic. Yeah. And like they genuinely like, like it. Like genuine because obviously like some influencers will do a post because they need the money yeah. and they don't really care about the brand. So many. So many like, you know, I have I remember Alex Bowen, he was doing a um, post for Circular and then five minutes later on his story, he'd have his Rolex GMT on. Yeah. And he's just done a paid post for a watch and he's took it off, put his own Rolex on. People see that. Yeah do you know what I mean so it, that's where influencing really struggled because people could see that this person doesn't actually give a shit about the product sometimes yeah, sometimes, sometimes they will sometimes they won't and that's at the end of the day it's a paid service There, you're paying them to promote the product they've done their job but it also helps if they like your product and they wear it you know, I always used to try and work with influence that I knew followed the brand already and genuinely liked the brand. Mm. One, because for my ego, it made me feel, oh, I don't want to use an influencer that don't even follow my brand. Because yeah. how can he tell other people to buy from this when he doesn't even take notice of it himself? Yeah. It just, it's people see through that bullshit. People aren't stupid and they see through it. So the good thing with the footballers were if they didn't want to do it, they wouldn't do it because it's free. They just do it if they like the product, and they're they happy to get it for free, more than happy to post it. So we we started going down the route of like paid paid ads, but getting it on footballers. So I've got it on like that. So many footballers. I mean, I was speaking to you before off camera. We went up to uh, the old firm game Rangers Celtic. Yeah. My models is English, but his dad's Glaswegian, um, and a lot of the Rangers and Celtic players used to buy the stuff. Once I started to get it on like Coutinho and Lanzini. Footballers follow those footballers, obviously. So I mm. get a lot of orders of footballers anyway, uh, and I'm massive into my football. So I'd notice the name straight away. I'd know like that's a footballer. Um, I'd then speak to my Instagram and build up a rapport with them, and then stuff like that, and gift them stuff for posts. And that was another form of marketing to me was them posting the brand and me gifting them stuff. Yeah, I'm massive into my football anyway. Obviously, like Sir so Firmino, we, multiple games I've been to for him build up a rapport, he invited me to his house to drop the stuff off. Yeah. Um, and That's through, a proper delivery, that. Yeah, and then through that, he, he invited me in and said, do you want some food? Um, and he's not the only player to have done that. James McLean, who was at West Brom, Wigan. Um, me being in Birmingham, the first time I met him, he was based, he was at the Belfry. And mm. he'd he, he rented a property and he invited me into his property and his, his brother was playing fee from that and they made me drinks of, made me a drink and whatever and I sat chatting to him for ages and stuff. And because, that you can tell pretty quick if someone actually likes football or if yeah. they're faking it. Well, they knew straight away that I was, you know, genuinely interested in football. Um, so you know, you you can, they know that it's like, when you're speaking to them through like social media, they can tell whether you just, you actually like football and that helps a little bit, I think. So I've built up good relationships, gone to loads of football games, um, you know, and, and that's been another avenue, massive, another avenue of marketing for us. Um,
1: that's something I need to do more of. I did a bit of influence market in the past, like Alex Baum, a bunch of Love Island guys way back in the day. Jay Alvarez was probably the biggest one. Yeah. Got no return. I remember
0: you saying he got no return. I've, I've had a couple so of them. So now things. I'm
1: like, I'm just scared of it now because I just don't think, it feel like it works.
0: I think it's easy to find out who's genuine though. If you, if you understand social media and you see after an hour they're on 400 likes, and after two hours they're on 25,000 likes, you know they've bought the likes. Yeah. So you, and, and, so you can tell the engaged profiles, just if you spend, yeah. if you actually genuinely love social media and your brand, you'll always, you'll already have like a level of understanding of who's legit. Mm. And that will narrow it down to a certain amount of people. And then there'll always be the one con artist in there that's got like a, a fraud following that won't get you the, the results you need. Yeah. But it doesn't take long to look through their social media and their following and their comments and the likes to understand who's actually got the legit audience. And then you narrow it down to two or three people you want to work with, and you should be okay based off of that. Um, but you, you can get stung. I got, I've got stung off. I'm not going to say their names on here because I don't want to mug them off or anything can say. Mm. But there's some people that have been absolutely shocking that have come back yeah. multiple times. I've stopped speaking to them and they're messaging the, me. The
1: risk is paying a big one that you think is going to work, like a jail is it's paying like 45 grand for three posts. I must have brought in like 4K. And I was like crying.
0: And it's one of those ones you can't really know if it's going to work until yeah. you've done it. And yeah. you can obviously speak to other people, but if they've got different products, it's not... And also people don't really want to let on that, oh, it performs really well, if, you know what I mean? Exactly. So, but yeah, it's... But that's the great thing about face up marketing is it's, one, you can monitor the performance and you can scale... Yeah, I've always just been so around. heavy
1: on Instagram, especially with, with the new brand. Like, although now I'm thinking... I'm a bit too reliant on Instagram, so I'm trying to diversify.
0: This this was my big problem because I knew everything about Instagram and I mm. built brands on Instagram. I'd sold brands and like I'd built pages up people, and I'd done that as a, as, a, as a money earner as well. I used to build people's profiles for them and stuff. Um, and when when Facebook come along, I just didn't actually. Going back to like at school, if I'm not interested in something, I just don't, I don't dive into it. Yeah. But with social media, I love it and I spend a lot of time on it. So I understand everything about it. Social media, like there's nothing you can catch me out on with Instagram, but with Facebook ads, my knowledge is limited. I understand it enough to have a conversation with people, but I wouldn't run it myself. Yeah. So I've always then been reliant on marketing companies um, to do them for me. Um,
1: Yeah, man, I use an agency now. I I used to do it myself, but definitely I, I wouldn't know enough now.
0: You've, the thing is, it changes so much. You've got to do it every day.
1: Hundred percent. I, I used day. to be in it for hours every day. Like
0: you, you know, when I, I, I follow a few people, I follow a guy on YouTube called Ben Heath. Oh yeah, and he puts out a lot of really good content, and he's he's he's, re- he's very frequent with it, like daily. And you can learn. There's, we've got um. One of the things I did when Calibre got to a certain level is people would message me and ask if I'd help them set up clothing brands, and there's free brands that I've helped go from like nothing to like. Turning over like multiple five six figure months and they're they're, they're established brands to, to, to now. So we've got like a thing called Hustle Hub on WhatsApp, and we use a lot of marketing companies. And rather than us all just use the same people, we go off and try different factories, try different mm. marketing companies, try different packaging companies, get the best price, and we, and we kind of we get we do a lot of networking that way. Um, and one of the lads in the group had been burnt by quite a lot of marketing companies. And he ended up just doing it himself and he got better results and got really good at himself and kind of really dived into it. And now he runs all of our ads um, and the results. I mean, he's we we view some of the biggest marketing companies in the country, like massive companies that look after really, really big brands that turn over like 60, 70 million a year and they're, they're, some of them are the worst, the worst mm. results. They're just terrible. And they, they put someone in charge who's just been employed, who spends like an hour yeah. a day on your ads as opposed to having someone in-house who's spending 10 hours a day on your ads and understands the brand message and stuff like that. There are pros and cons to use a marketing company because they've obviously got other people's data and stuff like that, but we've almost got that ourselves. The fact that there's three of us, three, mm. four, well, there's like four of us now in it. In so we can we can see like, if my ads, if, if for instance, if I wasn't doing many sales and I'm going to wonder if it's the market, I'll know because how the others are doing. So we've got that data through four or five brands rather than just my own brand and this this guy now who's who's in our group he does all of our ads so it's quite quite lucky really that we're not actually reliant on a marketing company now yeah um, solely um, to do to do our ads for us um, but scaling as you as you really scale you're going to need a marketing company I think I, mm-hmm. I feel just to have that professional touch of one our guy is only really good with Facebook ads you need TikTok. Yeah, need yeah 100%. You need you need other avenues of, of, of expertise anyway.
1: You're really good at answering questions. I feel like I've not gone through any of the things I want to ask go you. Go on, go for it. Um, we don't have to quick fire them, but like so, f- f- fulfillment wise, are you how, how do you manage all that? Are you do it yourself, or you outsource so that?
0: Did it, did it all myself, um, and then obviously when Paul came on board.
1: No, I want to ask you about that next.
0: We'll go to that next. When when Paul, one of the first things I said when I sat down mm. to Paul was he said, "What do you need to take Calibre to the next level?". I said to stop packing my own parcels. Oh, so you are doing it yourself? I was doing it myself. That. Yeah, right. Said, need- I've, n-
1: I've actually never done that. I've always done 3PL.
0: Yeah, to be honest, because i would never got like a, a massive Which business Which is fucking background, expensive though, by the way. I just launched and just was like, I didn't know any other way other than yeah. packing myself kind of thing. And it was just one of those. And sometimes I've worked hard rather than work smart. And I found out the hard way, there's an easy way to do this. Um, and I've just kind of, I've always worked really hard, but sometimes you also, there's the certain scenarios where it's like, you you need to offset stuff to free you up to do other things. But that was one of the big things that was like, tying me down was, um, was I was packing my own parcels, working full time. And my time actually spent on designing product and speaking to the factories was then like, you Know a couple of hours a day, yeah. So, one of the first conversations that Paul had with Paul was, What do you need to do to take Calibre to the next level? Yeah, so uh,
1: all right, was get a bit center.
0: Let's so, I've got one now.
1: How did that relationship come, come about then? Because obviously, he's very well known, yeah, Jim Sharp, loads of other stuff previously. I mean, I, I knew he was obviously. Um, where's that come from?
0: So, um,
1: initially, and then I guess what was the process to working? Yeah, so, um,
0: I, I knew of who he was just through just knowing everyone on Instagram, we mm. with involved in e-comm and stuff like that, and his attachment to Gymshark and stuff like that. I'd be honest, I didn't realize the level he was at when I first started speaking to him. I just thought he was, he was at Gymshark and very high up, and that was basically, he was almost like a member of staff. I didn't realize that he'd been an entrepreneur and had multiple businesses and the success that he had when I first started speaking to him. I added him on Instagram, he added me back, and we hadn't spoken, then a couple of weeks later, I noticed I had an order come from Calibre and it was a big order. So it just stuck out straight away. Mm. And it was his name and it was going to Gymshark headquarters. So I messaged him and just saying, listen, thanks for that order. That's a, that's a massive order, I like, really appreciate it. Glad you like the stuff. He was like, yeah, mate, love the brand. Um, and that we got speaking through that. Mm. Um, and that's that's kind of how it happened. And then through speaking to, through speaking to him, I then kind of like, he had a link on his Instagram and it was a link to an old podcast he'd done on YouTube and it was it was him speaking to a guy um about his background so obviously he'd been involved at Birmingham at Border He first started off in waste management, made a lot of money from that. He took over old his dad, school industry took over his dad's company, blew that up, sold it. Um he 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 went to Birmingham Football Club, he was on the board of directors there, he'd owned All Saints got them out of... It adminis- you owned All it, Saints? You owned All Saints. They were in... Admin- 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 everyone asked
1: where my shirts are from. Every single episode. When when I Every was, single shirt I've ever worn on this fucking podcast be, is All Saints. Every, I have about 20 of them. If you
0: go back to all the lads in, in Marine in marine training, everyone used to just wear All Saints all the time. It was just like a thing that... It was just mm. like... You could tell someone that had been in the military because Best they Best for shirts, in my tight, opinion. Tight, you know those tight All yeah, Saints yeah, jumpers? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but massive Brandon, I was very aware of All Saints. So when I realised that he'd owned All Saints, I was like, fucking hell. Like, okay, he's, like, he's obviously... He's not just a fucking member of staff at Gymshark. Mm. So I watched I watched that video and he'd basically been at Birmingham on the board of directors. He'd had waste management companies, he'd been at All Saints, got them out of administration, sold them on. Um and then as he, in his own words, he was training at David Lloyd in Bromsgrove, met Ben and was like a mentor. Oh, really? to, yeah, so he so that's how they met. So he was he's he's from Birmingham. Yeah. Paul is. Obviously Ben is as well, they're from uh, Ben's from Bromsgrove, just outside of Birmingham. They were training at the same gym and they they would speak to to um, Paul for advice um, on Gymshark because they were still in the early stage of like 2014, but they were mm. still turning over like four or five million a year. So they were doing really well, um, but they used to go to Paul for advice. And then, to cut a long story short, they ended up employing him full time to advise them on how to take that company to the next level. Yeah. And that's how Paul went into Gymshark. And then obviously they went from turning over four million a year to two hundred million a year, three hundred million a year, to um, so obviously being valued at like two billion now. Um, and so I was like, okay. Like he's obviously he's not just a, a you know member of staff at Gymshark. He's effectively their director. He, he you know mm. um, you know Ben's the founder, but he employed Steve and Paul to basically run the company. Yeah. Um, so we start speaking and and and. And I just basically said to him, like, would you be up for having a conversation about investing into Calibre? Um, and he was like, I'd love to. He said, yeah, I really like the brand. Let's have a chat. And he gave me like, um, and I'd met a few people in the past that had offered to invest. And I knew within like a couple of minutes that they wasn't right for the brand, mm-hmm. things they would say. The thing that the thing that was different about Paul was, I'd sat down with all the multimillionaires and it was all about, they would tell me how we could make it better because like Paul was very much like what you've done is amazing fair play like congratulations on what you've built this could be something massive like keep doing what you're doing kind of thing whereas when I'd met other investors they were like oh we could change this we could change that Mm. we could go down but have you looked at this but have you looked at yeah but why not go into foot asylum because I said I didn't want to go into foot asylum I was like I've got this other vision of being like a selfridges brand yeah, I said, and if I go into foot asylum, I'm never going to go into selfridges, and I'll never be perceived that way. Mm. And they weren't on board in my vision, whereas he was straight away. And for someone as successful as him, he never once told me like anything I was saying was wrong. He was very humble, and he he listened to everything I said, and he was like, okay, yeah, I'm interested. He said, he said, I've got a lot on at the moment, and at the time I didn't realise he was buying Hera. He said, can I come back to you in, in the new year? Because this was in November last year and we'll, we'll speak more on it. So um, we met up in the new year um, again, um, and we kept in touch ever since, like phone calls, chatting and stuff like that. Um, and basically he was like, okay, I just need to speak to my, he wanted to speak to his daughters first because they'd, they'd, they'd acquired her at this point. And I think there was, he wanted to invest in Calibre, but he was a bit worried that the brands would clash potentially further down the line. Hmm. And he also didn't want to, he said to me, I don't want to be so busy with them that I've got nothing for you. And I also don't want to also be so busy with this that I'm not helping my daughters when I need, you know, when they need me. He said, so let me just run it by them and speak to them and make sure that like, you know, let me get their opinion. He obviously value their opinion. He said, "and let me just come back to you. And he came back to me um, and he was like, right, let's go for it. Let's do it. Like, And um, and that was it. He was on board. Um, and to be fair as well, um, his daughters have, you know, They've spoke to me through social media, and we've we spoke about meeting up and stuff like that, and um, and they've been there to kind of give advice and stuff like that and help out. And it's yeah, it's um it's still in the very early stages. We've we've obviously we've, the deal's done. We've bought a massive amount of stock um, that's due to arrive any moment at our fulfillment center. Um, we've moved into a fulfillment center. Um, yeah, the same, good one, move. the same one that they use for Hera. Um, Which ones that? Core in, in crew. I've heard of that. Core yeah. fulfillment. Yeah.
1: Probably emailed me yeah so many of these really,
0: to be fair the guy who owns it's also called paul really nice guy um very switched on um i think he's i think he originally worked there as like a manager and mm. he ended up ended up he's now the owner of it um and they've expanded and stuff like that and they're doing really well to be fair they're not global where they've got fulfillment centers and like amsterdam and stuff like that they're still uk based yeah um so you know but paul paul when he initially went when when we did it he said oh I use this fulfillment centre because Ash White was already here with Hera and I mean, I basically went and met them and I liked what I seen and they were really nice people so I didn't really feel like the need to move out and, and we just stayed there he we said we'll put you straight in there with them um, and we'll, we'll use that one for you and the, the good thing about it is as well it's based in Crewe which is 16 miles away from a house in Stoke-on-Trent so I can yeah. just I popped up there and had coffees with the owner and stuff like that and had a look at the setup and stuff like that and when my stuff does land I can just fly up there quality check whatever just be nosy and stuff on the process and that, and uh, but it's still in the early stages. So, until that stuff you know lands and, and, and everything's on the website, we won't really see the impact in terms of the scale of the brand in, in terms of what it's you know gonna do now. Because our big problem before was we'd sell out after two to two, three weeks and we'd never know what our proper month could be. Um, and suppliers I previously used, I didn't trust them enough to really go big and know that okay that's what I really need to order to last me three months but if they fuck that up I've got no more money left do you know what I mean or I've Mm. got not enough to rebuy that or take that hit do you know what I mean so I I was always buying like a safe amount just to make sure that like you know it's enough to last us like in certain quantities we'd sell out within a couple of weeks but in terms of the whole collection it would last us a couple of months Um, but it's really hard to scale because you can only sell what you've got yeah you're not going to do a million pound a month if you've got, you know, 200 grand resale value in your stock, do you know what I mean? So, you know, it's now we're in a position where we can buy as much as what I think the brand needs to really grow um, and we can we can do the numbers that I feel like the brand can, can really do and, and become a household name as such and, and really kind of stamp stamp our name on the industry.
1: So, so how does the setup look in terms of day-to-day? Like, do you have an office? You've got a team? I
0: had an office. Obviously, marketing, marketing, um, freelanced to a marketing company i do Mm. everything myself social media photo shoots um there's 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 nothing i don't do other than the the, the marketing the facebook ads that that was done by a marketing company i've used Mm. a few marketing companies the one i most recently used to be fair i think you know the guy jason west yeah i do yeah a really nice lad but he's based in middlesbrough and the guy he used for his ads was in australia um, and I yeah went, that's a time zone problem it's, it's a, I, was getting, I remember once I, get, I've been there before I got I an email an back at like four that. o'clock in the morning and I said to Jason fuck me this guy's on it at four in the morning and he was like yeah, he's based in Australia and I I like to meet people who are like a big mm. part of my brand if you're running my ads I want to be able to like get in front of you and, and talk to you if yeah. you're the other side of the world it just feels a bit and with, with Jason being based in Middlesbrough we had a few meetings it's a four hour drive and then a four hour drive back it's eight hours so we couldn't really meet each other and I'm thinking, I'm literally 50 minutes away from Manchester where there is more marketing agencies and yeah. there is flipping yeah. hot dogs, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. So it's like, I need to just bring everything in close. I already travel a lot to Birmingham for family. Mm. My model's based in Birmingham. The studio user's is based in Birmingham. Um, I'm always traveling. I'm always on the road. So I was like, let me just bring things in closer uh, and get a more local marketing company. And I started to speak to someone in Manchester, but then to be fair, the guy that's in our group that I spoke about earlier has just been keen it for a lot of brands And he's going to do it from from now on as such but paul uses a big company um for hera and that's potentially somewhere we're going to go next um but they're also looking to i think hire in-house for Hera at the moment but um i think feel like this time next year we'll probably be using a proper marketing company to to kind of do everything like clavio for emailing snapchat TikTok, cover all the, the bases um so office i had an office i predominantly had an office because that's where all our stock was. Mm. And then once we went into a fulfilment centre, I was like, well, I'm paying a lot of money for an office here, for space where I'm just sat with a laptop and a desk. It was more of a novelty thing. It, yeah. was, it was good to get out of the house. Because being at home and being on your laptop when you've got a six-month-old baby... And oh, you've you got a baby? you got a baby.
1: Oh, shit. Yeah. That is, a, that is a combination.
0: It's So the office was like a I safe... I can't one.
1: deal with this fucking sausage, dog.
0: A safe haven. No, I don't have a baby. I, wait, I feel like I've waited. I'm 31. Most of my friends had kids at like twenty three, twenty four, really? nineteen, eighteen, and I've wait. I've 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 dedicated eighteen. Like, yeah, I've dedicated like it's ten a,
1: years. to... It's an interesting one, is isn't it? Because it's it's a. I mean, everyone each to their own, of course, but I think eighteen is too young to have a kid. I mean, I know people that had kids at eighteen, because when you come from like a state school, <laughs> state school background, like I do, and a lot of people, it's just cultural differences, isn't it? Massive and cultural differences. It is you typically follow what your parents did?
0: A lot of people in in the areas I'm from and stuff like that, like I didn't grow up in a fancy area or anything like that, I think just the natural thing to do is settle down, Hmm. have kids, get a safe job. And that's kind of, that's it, do you know what I mean? Whereas it was always, obviously I joined the Marines, so I was away from home straight away. Yeah. And then when I came out, I was on my ass because I wasn't planning to come out. I had to leave because of my shins. So I had no money. And I was always of the mindset because of my upbringing, there is no way in a million years that I'm going to have a kid and not have no money they're not going to catch the bus mm. they're not going to go to school with holes in their trainers like when I have a child I want to be set in life mm. so I'd already I'd already made up my mind from like a young age that I won't settle down or have kids or a family until I, like until I feel like I'm financially in a position where I can afford it properly yeah. afford it a lot of people will think affording it's having a 1000 pounds in the bank it's not and I know what it's like to go to school dress like shit and get bullied for it. Mm. And I'm not putting my kid through that, do you know what I mean? Like my mom put me in like Pocahontas trainers, right? Girls Pocahontas trainers, right? Got to school. Some kid took the mickey out of me, ended up battering him. Got suspended and then she battered me for getting suspended. And it was her yeah. reason why I was in them trainers fighting in the first place. And it, so it was always on the forefront of my mind growing up that it's funny because business was never like on the horizon but ambition was like I, yeah. I wanted to go in the marines and I wanted a career I didn't want to just be a normal person have a normal job and I could have gone and joined a lot easier forces but I was like I'm going to go for the hardest one and it was so ambition's always been like I've always wanted to achieve something in life had a chip on my shoulder where I'm like yeah, I've caught, I've, caught, I've had a massive chip on my shoulder and there's years gone by where I wouldn't admit that's people but I, I'm, I'm okay with that now like I do feel like I've got a point to prove um, and and that like from the upbringing I've had, I was never meant to be successful, but that's only drove me on to kind of prove people wrong anyway, and it's kind of actually enhanced. It's, it's, it's. it's I've, I've used it as fuel, if you like. Mm. Um But it was always at the forefront of mind to be successful, and I always kind of had this image in my head of right, I'll have a nice car I'm gonna drive, a house, money in the bank, and a career before I have a child and before I have a missus. So I stayed single for like I had a relationship at like eighteen that went bad. Mm went in the Marines anyway, and then I was away from home, and I stayed single till I was 28, from 18, so I had 10 years of being single.
1: Well, I'm very single. Right? travelled
0: loads, you know what I mean, and had fun yeah. and stuff like that, but I, people were saying to me at 26, 27, when are you going to settle down? I said, like, what do you mean? At 26? Yeah, when are you going to settle down? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to get married? You know, and I was like, when I'm a millionaire? Like, that was kind of my attitude. Like, yeah. I didn't say that out loud, but that was what I was thinking in my head. When I'm successful enough where when mm. my kid comes to me at four years of age and goes, dad, I want to go on a snowboarding trip. I, oh, not four, he's snowboarding at four. Yeah. Come, but when she's enough to talk yeah. and she goes, I want to go on a skiing trip or a snowboarding trip, I turn around and go, can't afford it. I never want to be that person that goes, we've got a budget or we've got to save mm. to do stuff. I want to just be able to go, right, there's the money, let's do it. So um, I wait, I in my head, you know, I had Calibre when I was 26 um, and I, I started... And my current partner was twenty eight. We made it official when it was twenty nine. So we've been together like three, four years, you know, officially. Um and we've obviously had our had had our child, um, Raya, who's now just gone six months when I was thirty one and she's she's two years older than me, she was thirty three. So I I feel like, you know, she's not gonna to get forty and start banging kids out. So you've got to do it at some point, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like so I feel like it's a good it's a good time, it's a good place. A lot's happened this last last year, to be fair, without even Without realizing, like quite big things, and similar to yourself, I I do suffer with depression massively, and um and I think that I used to think I was unhappy because of my circumstances, and then when I achieved things in my life, I still felt exactly the same. Yeah, it's it. it
1: that's that's when that's the
0: the way I, The way I can realization sp- point. The way I I can best describe depression for how it feels to me is some people are happy all the time and sad sometimes, whereas depression I feel like you're sad all the time and happy sometimes, hmm. and. Hmm. When I I used to think it's circumstantial because I was skinned because I had to leave the Marines because all my friends were driving nice cars you know, and yeah. going to Ibiza and I was only working weekends and didn't have much money and I used to think this is this is why I feel the way I am and then when I got my own house and I, and Calibre was doing well um, and I got into a good relationship and stuff and obviously what Paul did was absolutely like life changing really and it was m- massive to me and to be fair probably the happiest day of my life when he rang me and said let's do it. Within about a week, I was like I felt exactly the same again. it was weird and I had this money in my bank and I had you know and I've got a nice car on my drive and I've got a nice house and I've traveled and I've got a beautiful daughter. I still have the moments where I just feel like but the, the one thing that has been a massive difference is every morning I wake up, my daughter just laughs and giggles. she never cries. We put her to bed at nine, she doesn't wake up till half seven, eight, and every morning she wakes up she's instantly just smiling laughing she doesn't cry so it's impossible to start your day bad because when i look at her mm. it's it's a, it's it's like everyone says oh when you have children like it changes your life but it's weird because everything i've done has been for myself and the chip on the shoulder but now i'm doing it for her it's like an even it's an even mm. it's like a, a beast you know what i mean it's like wow i really can't let her down but um but it's but it's weird because i've had my own demons to battle and stuff like that and i think a lot of it's to do with my upbringing and not having a mum or dad in my life. I met my dad when I was 22 and we've built up a good relationship now, but it's took a long time to get to that. But he's more like a friend rather than like a father figure. But I missed all those years of having like a dad on the sidelines when you score a goal or teaching you to shave and stuff like that. I never had any of that. I never had an older brother either. So I had to like, I had to like be my own role model and, and do you know what I mean? So it's been, it's been, he's, going back to not wanting to feel different being in care I used to get offered counsellors all the time and I thought how am I fuck doing counselling because everyone mm-hmm. looked like I'm a weirdo speaking to someone about my feelings so I used to just put it off put it off and I never have had it but I, I realised like two three years ago that I probably need to talk to someone or whatever and have that conversation and whatever but I, I've i used a lot of what's happened to me as like a driving force to do what I've done so I'm almost scared of, of not being depressed and I think that's I don't think I've ever said that to anyone before but I actually I use it as almost like my fuel hmm. to like the way I feel I'm like all right. I've, I've got to achieve this to, to, to feel better or I've got to like prove people wrong or whatever and I feel like if everything's perfect in my life and I'm content I won't want more and it's the wanting more that makes me do what I do every day so I almost don't want to be cured and go and get all yeah. the it's, it's I don't know if you understand what I mean by yeah that, I do yeah I think it's, my, I think it's, my, it's my all, all, all of
1: us are a bit fucking crazy that that try and build things for ourselves and you know you, you need some fucking. What would, would, would I do,
0: what I do now, if I'd have had a normal upbringing, my yeah. dad—I know you have—and you've had a good upbringing. There'll be other reasons why you are the way you are, but I think to myself, if I'd have had that normal upbringing, I'd have gone on to be a plumber, maybe. Or, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like well, I'm,
1: my parents wanted me to be a lawyer, so yeah, <laughs> it wasn't. I just knew it wasn't for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know who you are,
0: but I don't think. You, I don't think you really have a choice. I think you, you think it's just it it just i i really enjoy what i do and i enjoy working being my own boss i enjoy working on my brand and i enjoy building it i couldn't work for someone else on their time and ask permission to go and have a shit and stuff like that it's just not me yeah um i'm quite a combative person like i'm mm. very strong minded and I, I and, like, and I know what i want to do and like i know what i don't want to do and i feel like to get that freedom i have to have financial security and be my own boss otherwise if you're always asking for permission off, you know, your boss and whatever, you you haven't got a choice in life. Yeah. You know, so that's that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm obsessed with owning my own company and being successful. Because when I want to go on holiday, I don't want to have to wait six months to go on holiday. I'll go when I want. Do you know what I mean? And I want that freedom, and more so than. And you'll know this. A lot of people think you set up businesses for money. It's not because, not really massively inter- interested in materialistic things as such. Because if you was, you wouldn't have a business. Because every time it came time to spend money and speculate to accumulate. You just blow it on everything else. You actually have to be quite tight to own a business. And whenever all your, friends are out, when all your friends are out drinking and spending and whatever, you actually go, well, I need to save this money to run that company. What I'm actually chasing is freedom, financial freedom. If if I could live abroad and work for my laptop, that's my dream and just, and do you know what I mean? Why can't you do that? Well.
1: I guess you've got a kid now, it's a bit different. I've got course, a daughter well. now. Um, Cause I, I was thinking this myself recently. I've been fucking sat in London the past four months. Granted, living in a nice flat, all this. I got mates here. Why am I not? Why am I not in Dubai or Bali? I'm well, going. I'm big... going to Bali next week. But I used to be very nomadic. I mean, I still travel a lot, but a bit of me, a bit of me, kind of had a, an awakening the other day. And I thought, I'm not. I'm not really happy right now in winter. Like, I just don't want to fucking be in London when it's minus five, and you know, I could be anywhere. The
0: thing is, I think obviously, th-
1: I get more work done. There is a balance, but.
0: I I, tra- I travelled a lot like I used to I used to go all around Europe and I'm very spontaneous like I sat I remember sitting there in my dad's living room on a Thursday and go I've always wanted to go to Canada
1: mm.
0: sat on my phone I said I'll fly in two days
1: yeah I've and I done just, that for
0: and I just did it and I used to do that quite a lot and I used to go I've gone loads of places on my own because yeah, I didn't sorry. have because I didn't have a core group of friends that were single a lot of my friends had kids a lot of my friends didn't have much money they'd have to plan holidays like yeah. save for it I found Well I'm never going to go anywhere If I'm waiting for them So I used mm. to go on my own And because I'm quite A lone wolf anyway And quite like Not massively social Unless you're interested In the same things I am I just used to fucking Enjoy just my own peace And, and quiet And just If I went to go and see a place Like I don't know The, the Coliseum I would just go and see it. I, I never, did that. I wouldn't I went talk to Italy about by it. Myself. I've always wanted to yeah. I went to Rome by myself. I've always wanted to go and see the Colosseum. So I Still want to go with a beautiful
1: brunette, but, but that's waiting. It's,
0: well, it's funny thing is it's a very it's a very dainty place like Paris, and that's so the. I went, went to Florence by, by
1: myself, which when my parents had a honeymoon, the whole time I'm thinking, <laughs> when the fuck am I bringing a girl here?
0: A few of the lads from from our watch shop went to Florence because they've got the Panerai headquarters there. Yeah, it's beautiful. I've seen the photos; it's beautiful. But I, a lot of my friends want to go to IB for every year. I'd rather go and sit at Niagara Falls. I'm a weirdo. Like, I'd rather go and see the pyramids. Yeah. I know you like to go to IB for a party. From oh, do, I'm, defi-
1: from, I'm definitely less of a partier than the other stuff, though.
0: From doing the doors for eight years, I and prefer seeing what like, people look like when they're drunk. It puts me off. Yeah, I, yeah. And if I'm going to be around drunk people, I have to get drunk and I don't like being drunk because mm. I like to be in control. And I've seen what happens to people who get smashed. So I haven't been drunk for like 10 years. So rather than go to IB for all like partying and stuff, I'd rather go sightseeing. My friends. Especially when I was like 23, 24, doing that, they weren't on that level. They are now. Yeah. I've been doing that for 10 years. Like, mm. okay, Eiffel Tower, let's do it. Okay, Barcelona, let's go there. I want to go and see Messi play, New Camp. Do you know what I mean? Okay, Rome, Belgium, like, and, you know, America, where I've been loads of places. and But I'd go because I'm like, okay, I want to go and see the Colosseum. And my mates would be like, what's well, just a brick wall? It's just a brick green What are you looking at when you get there? Yeah. Didn't under- they didn't get it. Do you know what I mean? They don't understand. So I just found it was easy just to go on my own. So I used to just go to a lot of places on my own. Um, but so my biggest thing was, I'd love to be able to build a business where I can just travel the world and it just ticks over. But obviously, because I was always packing the parcels, I was always restricted to doing that with the fulfillment center. It would be easy to do that. But I also feel like with fashion, you almost have to keep your finger on the pulse. Like if you're on the other side of the world, not Australia, yeah, you won't know what the fashion trends are over here. You you almost need to kind of like be around the brands that you're competing against. If you're the other side of the world, it's it's really mm. hard to kind of like organising photo shoots. I'd have to get someone else to do the campaign for me and I, they wouldn't do it the way I'd want them to do it and they wouldn't see the vision that I want them to do. What like I want to do is cool video where our model's driving down to like a vineyard and an old classic Mercedes gets yeah. out, throws a drink over it, sits at a table with a woman and drinks some wine. I've got all these visions in my head that I want to create. Yeah. And I feel like I can only, it will only come exactly if I'm there orchestrating it. Mm. So if I'm the other side of the world and trying to tell someone through Skype how I want it to look, it won't be yeah. the same. And with my social media and content, I'm a bit of a control freak. Like, I, I want complete control of how the brand looks. And I feel like I can't do that from the other side of the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Got to figure it out.
0: Mm-hmm. So.
1: Where do you see the brand in five years? What, what's next? Obviously, <laughs> it's been a disjointed five years so far. Yeah. But now it sounds like you've got the, the, solid foundation.
0: Yeah. The, if, I, if, if I'd have looked back five years ago and said this, and you'd have asked me the same thing, it w- wouldn't look how exactly how it looks now so I think it's really hard to look too far ahead but the the, end, the, end, the the next goal is to have a full year of stock and really see what the brand's numbers will be with stock every every month mm. um, and then my my ultimate goal is to scale it to a point where it's turning like 10-20 million a year Selfridges Harvey Nichols Browns Choice Harrods are knocking on the door for it to be stocked there I've already had people from Selfridges buyers reach out and say they're watching the brand they like the brand so I know I've kind of, I'm on, you know, I'm on the right track. Um, uh, and to be in a position where I'm financially secure, we can all say what number that is to us, whether it's 5 mm. million in the bank, 10 million in the bank, 20 million, 3 million, 2 million, it's different for everyone. I, I'd i be happy being financially secure, having, being my own boss, employing my family to work for me, do you know what I mean? Like my partner or whatever like that and being able to to do that. Help my family financially like retire mm. my dad and stuff like that give my give my brothers jobs and stuff like that I really want to be able to do that to them that's my that's my my goal for the next five six seven eight ten years is to build a brand to position where one it financially retires me and and my kids if if, if you like if it looks after them it looks yeah. after my family um and I never have to worry about you know going back to work and stuff like that and you know that's that's the end goal um it's freedom financial security you're not going
1: back to work do that. No. I know like, Yeah. No, fight, fight. Never look back. I think because
0: of my upbringing as well, because it's it, there's not been a lot, a lot of security in my mm. life. That's subconsciously what I'm chasing is like, yeah. is, is is the financial security of being set for life. And that's not a hundred grand in the bank or 200 grand in the bank. It's not because a nice house and a couple of cars and a couple of holidays, that's gone. Yeah. So straight away, you're talking about a million. Well, if you're talking about a million, the company needs to turn over five, six million for that to be the profit. So you, straight away you're talking about a company that's going to turn over five, six million, and then you might as well say ten million then. So mm. that's where I'm kind of looking to get to is ten million turnover, company, and um, whether that happens in two, three, four years, but that's that's the goal. Um, with having someone like Paul on board, there's no reason why we won't do that because there's, yeah. nof- there's nothing that he's not really involved in that isn't absolutely smashing it and flying. Yeah. Everything he's ever done in his life, not everything because not everyone's everyone's got not success stories, but pretty mm. much everything he he touches in his life turns to success and that's not by chance it's because he's obviously very good at what he does and he's very experienced and he's very hard working and having him by my side it just makes me feel a bit more at ease as like having a mentor and stuff like that so the one of the big things I've done over the last year or two years is networked and that's made a massive difference because I used to keep myself to myself and I used to always use this analogy that the brand's like a boat and any wave of negativity will capsize it so while it's still small I don't want to like put myself to it and any of my previous history or past or whatever or anyone jealous or whatever would would try and tarnish it or fat ex-family and stuff like that yeah. and as I've got older I realise it doesn't really matter but the bigger the brand's got I've now looked at like a ship and any wave of negativity just bounces mm-hmm. off it as such so one of the big things that I've done over the last like year, two years, is just networked, been around like-minded people. And that makes a massive difference. You are It's a cliche, but if you hang around with five idiots, you'll become the sixth. Very, if very true. If you hang around true. with five successful people, you'll become the sixth successful. It's not always guaranteed like that. You've got to obviously have something about you. Um, but um, that's one of the things that I've done over the last year or so, is, is, is networked and, and been around like-minded people. It takes longer than it probably, I do it quite organically. Like I don't just add someone and go, hi, this is me. Like what, who's your supplier or mm. what can I come and meet you? Can we hang out? Like I just chat to them naturally. And through that, I've probably got like 30 brand owners on my WhatsApp that I can just speak to at any, any given time and phone them and stuff. And we can just chat for an hour or two hours. It's just happened naturally. And yeah, definitely. I, I actually get a really big kick out of helping people. So if I know they're struggling with like a packaging company or they feel like they're getting ripped off, I'll just give, it, I'll just give them mine. Hmm. And just doing stuff like that for people, it comes back to, it comes back anyway because people were like, okay, I remember that, like, yeah, yeah. If, if they've got something about them, and so that's that's been a big big thing as well that I've done uh, over the last year is just two three years ago I never would have you know yeah. spoke to you I just like, I would never have come on a podcast or anything like that, for
1: that. yeah first podcast and sometimes gonna... I feel
0: like. You got the attitude. Of, do you go on the podcast until you've made it? But then, if you really think you're going to make it, it shouldn't make a difference because why wait? Till you've well, become...
1: I've not made it, and I host a fucking podcast. Well, you so... say that,
0: but Neon Beach was turning over silly numbers, like
1: yeah, but it went wrong, didn't it?
0: But you've done it.
1: Yeah, I've I've been there a few times. I know how to scale stuff. Yeah, I, I'm not a noob.
0: No, but you've but... You, you've you've had you know, Lamborghini, Ferrari. You've had Ferraris, so
1: yeah, I've had some nice cars.
0: I've not had a Ferrari, so. Well, it's,
1: it's quite easy to. I mean, that's another topic. It's quite easy to look like you've got twenty million quid if you put a twenty-five grand deposit and finance a Ferrari, like me.
0: But even finance. I'm the a most Ferrari, honest you, man on the internet.
1: Yeah, the you Ferrari. do. I had. Yeah, yeah. But some people will I've go, "Okay, money. I've got to
0: achieve this before I go and do the podcast." But then, <coughs> if you genuinely believe you're going to get there anyway, how nice would it be to look back and go? That's why. What I, why what I fucking document yeah, my shit, it? My daughter's six months old when she's. Five, six, seven, eight, ten years of age. I, I can go. That was dad when he didn't have grey hair. Yeah. You know what I mean. Just but like why why wait until I've become a multi-million? But previously I would have said to myself, I've got no right going on in a podcast speaking about anything until I've until I've you know the brands you know yeah the size of I'm not going to say the right, you know competitive brands but the size of those brands. But um, at the same time, I've also got a backstory that yeah no definitely is, definitely is. is, is, is it's crazy, so it's there's, there's definitely some value to it as well.
1: I'm meeting a girl in 40 minutes, so my la- I'm gonna ask my last question. Um, <laughs> you can
0: say, Are gonna cut that out? <laughs> no, <Nah. Okay. laughs>
1: I'm not cutting that out. Okay, That's the truth. Fair one. I, I, I asked, I, mean, I felt we could go on for like three hours because he's got a very good story. we proud probably do a part two. We'll do a part two when you reach 10 million next yeah, year. We,
0: this is the thing I was saying to my missus, she was saying, What are you gonna speak I said, It's weird because there's a reason, like, of why I am the way I am that I feel is important to say. But then there's the brand story and the the, the com story, mm. so I feel like, it, but you know, try and get as much in as possible to give some some context To why. I've done. What yeah, I've no, done, it's,
1: it's a, definitely one of the most interesting ones. I think the most varied for sure. Because yeah, we I mean, could dive in. Probably would there, dive more into it as
0: well. I've had to just kind of like, there's no point like with school and stuff like that and previous foster homes where it a good
1: Netflix series. This.
0: Oh mate fucking hell! If I, if if I'm if Touchwood, you know, I make it, then then maybe one day. Well, I've definitely. already got the title off my book. What, what is it? From foster care to... it could be entrepreneur or millionaire. From foster care to entrepreneur. Try the one
1: that rhymes from foster to... They both rhyme.
0: Reason. Foster care to entrepreneur. Foster care to millionaire.
1: Foster care to billionaire. That's oh, what we like. Nah, that's good. I like that. right, right, final question. Go on. I ask everyone the same thing. You'll probably be able to give me a 20 minute answer but try and refine it into three.
0: I won't because I've already tried to think about this on the drive down.
1: What, the question the, I The ask? question you're going to ask now. Well, yeah, three bits of advice to your 18 year old self, knowing what you know now, I guess you've got 13 years on that.
0: Network, I've always been a bit of a recluse and I wouldn't, I would never have gone and approached a bloke in in, in a bar wearing, not wearing a nice suit and a Rolex. Now potentially I'd make sure I bump into him to have a conversation with him or network or whatever. And I understand the, the real importance of that. And nine times out of 10, they're quite approachable and they're willing to talk to you and give you some advice and whatever the 18 year old me would never have had a conversation with paul Richardson and never yeah. never had never felt the self worth to be able to sit in a room with him and offer him something and have a conversation with him so the biggest advice I, that i could give number 1 to someone who's 18 is don't be scared to reach out to people who 9 times out of 10 you also need to have something to offer them like you need to be able to to network you can't just be you know have have nothing to give back to them if they ask you questions or whatever you need to be a bit you know on the same level to somewhat. but don't be scared to reach out and have a conversation with people who you want to aspire to be like um, and who are doing what you you want to be doing or currently doing so that's definitely one thing that I used to avoid I used to just keep mm. myself to myself and you know and there's people that found out that I owned Calibre three four years after it was about and they already knew about it and gone bloody hell so you're the guy that owns it it used to be very very secretive, like they're all really new. And people, Customers you say, oh, have you got, you know, a profile I can add you on? Like I've spent thousands with your brand. It'd be nice to just, and I'll be like, I just didn't feel comfortable doing that. Hmm. But there's massive benefits from networking. Um, did you say free?
1: Yeah. be here all night, weren't we? You can think of a million things.
0: <laughs> Don't listen to friends' advice on, you know, your friend. You'll never, very rarely will you go to school with people who are going to be your friends when you're in your thirties, mm. some people are very lucky and they have that and whatever. But you're like you're, the people that you're around aren't all necessarily your people. They're people you're with yeah. f- circumstantially because of your postcode and very, because you are saying very with them at school. I feel like get out there and find who your real type of people. Do you know what I mean? And and, and have similar tastes in you or whatever. But definitely like you know. The world's bigger than your postcode. Yeah. Don't, a lot of people just kind of think, well, this is it. You know, this is he's my friends are all five of my friends are going to be apprentices at, you know, a plumbing company or whatever. That's what I'll do. Just just broaden your horizons. So that's that's the second thing I'd say to people. Third. Um, hmm. Don't know. Something cliche. Don't be scared to fail. Everyone fails yeah and
1: I fail more than most people watching this yeah. podcast,
0: and most people who you think haven't failed are just hiding it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean they have failed or you know and most people you think are smashing it behind closed doors they're, they're struggling so don't be scared to to fail it doesn't mean you don't have to broadcast your failures and tell everyone that you're struggling or whatever but just no, do I do that too much
1: no. internet podcast I'm, I'm,
0: I'm impulsive that's why I don't have Twitter or Facebook yeah. because I used to write states all the time and I'd be like. I do a little bit of Instagram and stuff like that like I've been going crazy over the last week saying where's all the Messi hate haters now Ronaldo better mm-hmm. than Messi having a laugh and stuff like that and then I'll put it up after 5 minutes ago whatever done that like does it doesn't, you know. but you know you know I'm impulsive like that but I'm I'm opinionated so if I think if I think something I'll sometimes write about it yeah um but you are who you are at the end of the day you shouldn't be ashamed of it if that's what No definitely if, if 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 you're outspoken then that's that's that, that's it people will praise you for it once you're of a certain level, but when you're on the come up, people will go, oh, you, you know, but it's always the way. So at the end of the day, you can only be who you really are. And if you try and be something you're not, and this is prob- probably coming back to that third point. If you try and be something you're not and, and you, you get friends that way, eventually like it, it will come out further down the line anyway, you're better off just being yourself. And if those people don't like you for that, that's the, that's the best case scenario rather than try and be something or pretend to be something just to make friends and I think young people portray to be something that they're not just to fit in or just to have a, have a friendship group and it's better just being yourself and if those people don't like you for who you are you know you'll yeah. find you'll find the people that, that that you need to be around eventually anyway so don't be afraid to be yourself you don't need to portray or pretend to be someone else just to fit in a room. Um, definitely definitely. So yeah. that's probably it that's it three things
1: sweet on that bombshell it's you been a great episode we've got to shoot well yeah we could make this a classic and go three hours probably um, yeah super interesting story yeah there's loads there's
0: loads mate honestly um,
1: but yeah I'll, I'll link obviously Jason's brand people probably know anyway but I'll I always link him um, go check it out um, go spend five grand with him then, then you can invite him for fucking dinner like, like Firmino <laughs> um, cheers for watching the pod as always subscribe we're back on the weekly grind with the episodes properly this time I've yeah I mean I I was a hypocrite myself last year saying an episode every week for a year I did 48 instead of 52 but it's like hiatus. is we're back on it now so of course. see you in the next episode cheers for watching subscribe peace